glad you were with us. Uh, thanks for making us a part of your day. So much to get to here on the show. You can uh, hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio, streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com, as well as on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Love to hear from you here coming out of a college football weekend, an NFL weekend. Your thoughts on some of the big storylines. Falcons fans, where you at with this team? Last week it was, just got to do better, guys. And you were in it for three quarters and eight minutes or so, and then it got away from you uh, there in Tampa. Now you try to bounce back. It's going to be try to do better again uh, this week for Atlanta. We'll get to that. College football, always nuts. And every Monday we talk with Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI.com. He'll join us. We'll look at the Dogs' big win over South Carolina. They get ready for Vanderbilt and maybe a more interesting game than we previously thought upcoming uh, there in a couple of weeks against Arkansas. So he will join us coming up here in uh, hour number one on the show. But BJ, Ben, glad to have you here. Uh, we'll get to the good, the bad, the ugly, as we do each Monday uh, a little bit later in the show. But let's just start off a, a wild weekend in college football. And for as much as people want to sell the narrative of, oh, every game matters. Oh, it's the only sport where the regular season, every game matters, which we know is not true. I think the bigger thing is, as we saw games that mattered and games that didn't, College football may very well be the most unpredictable sport uh, going on the face of the planet. You just don't know what's going to happen week in and week out. We saw just prime examples of that, you know, all weekend long. Let's start there in the swamp. I mean, Alabama was a 20-plus point favorite. Three, four touchdowns they were going to beat the Gators. Nope, two points, and Florida had a chance to tie it up with a two-point conversion late. And, again, it's kind of a theme for the Saturday, ran a – a weird play inside uh, the five, obviously, for that two-point conversion that failed, and and Florida couldn't get it done. I know there's a lot of people around college football hoping for the Gators to pull that off, as that would have really shaken up college football. But let's start there, gentlemen. Florida and Bama. On the road, hostile environment, Bama pulls it out. But, man, Florida had their chances. Very, very proud of Florida. I mean, when you get down 21-3 to against a team like Alabama most of the time, Kevin and BJ, it's all about trying to maintain. Being down being down double digits to Alabama might as well be in the – it feels like being down by 60 because you just can't find a way to get back into the game. But, BJ, something we talked about with Dan Mullen that it took him four years, the freaking running game. Like the passing game was there in spurs, but not really what you want. But, I mean, look, Malik Davis, 10, 10 rushes, 96 yards. Emory Jones, 19 rushes. But a guy that really provided a spark was Naquan Wright. I mean, a guy that comes in, doesn't get a lot of carries, but very, very, very explosive. But Damian Pierce didn't have a lot of yards, two touchdowns. So certain teams understand. Like, if you're a team like Florida, you benefit a lot from a team like Georgia because you go, look, we know how good Georgia is. And Georgia, they ain't Alabama, but they ain't far from it. You look at and, and Kevin, some you kept going back to Florida played Alabama pretty good last year in the SEC championship game. Does that have a carryover? Well, a lot of those guys that played in that game, unfortunately for Alabama, are gone. But for Florida, those guys came back. And I think another thing, too, first two games of the year wasn't a tight end showing at all. Zipper and Gamble, those guys came up big yesterday. Like I said, quality in the passing game, dominance in the running game. You take away some mistakes by Emory Jones, and dare I say, if that defense played incredible for Florida yesterday, but they, if they could get off the field maybe a couple of drives, that game goes totally different. But the fact that you battled back being down 21 to three and you lose by two because I don't, I'm still trying to figure out what they are you going to hand it to him, Emory? Or are you going to not hand it to him? But, and I, I don't do that, BJ. I know we talked about the moral victory stuff, but it's when something, when everybody saw 21 three, whether you were for Alabama or Florida, you're thinking, oh, it's going to be a long day. 
you look at the final score, 31-29, you got to say to yourself what happened. But great job by them Gators. I mean, you know, you, you still losing to Alabama. That's going to be most people. But how you lost gives you a lot of confidence moving forward, BJ. But I'm just saying I was very, 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 very impressed by the defense, very, very impressed by the run game. And the one thing I appreciate, there was no two quarterbacks yesterday. It was, I mean, it was one guy. You let Emory go out there, Ernest, you know, earn, you know, earn a, Ernest strikes, but very, very impressed by Florida, what they was able to do. And, look, it's easy to say what you could have done had you when you lose the game. Not going to be that sour grapes individual. You lost the game, but great effort from a team like Florida. And so for those who think home field advantage don't matter, I think Florida proved it definitely does. Because if it's 21-3 on the road, they probably don't get back in that game. I thought Florida played brilliantly. Uh, I thought Florida was absolutely great. Like you said, it was a gritty performance from uh, Emory Jones making some big throws, converting some first downs, running the football. Florida on the ground was very effective. Uh, That's one of the, even just watching it from afar, kind of most emotional, loudest stadiums I've ever seen when uh, Damian Pierce scored that late touchdown that brought you within the two-point conversion. I thought Florida's defense after kind of an opening barrage early on was tremendous over the final three quarters. And I thought Dan Mullen called a really good game. Uh, I know people are kind of frustrated with the way the two-point conversion attempt went right, where you kind of had some indecision. But I still think that was a good call. Alabama had been collapsing down, trying to stop the running game. You had the read option there with with Jones and the running back, and it just didn't work out. But I thought Florida played great. And I do want to address this because I wrote about it on Southern Pigskin. You don't have to accept defeat by saying you played really well. Okay, here's the bottom line. One team has played Alabama within single digits during their 17-game win streak. It's Florida twice. And they played the Crimson Tide within six in the SEC championship game and brought that margin even closer on Saturday. So, no, you're not uh, happy with what happened if you're Florida. No, you're not uh, celebrating a loss to Alabama. But for a team that has quite literally dominated everybody else in their current winning streak, you were toe, uh, you know, toe for toe with them right there. And not only that, for three quarters of the game, you outplayed Alabama. Kevin, Florida had more than 100 total yards of offense than Alabama did and dominated the final three quarters. So it's not a moral victory, but you can still draw momentum and I think see your potential from a game like that. I was very impressed with Florida. I mean, like I said, I mean, going, going back into that game plan, I mean, that, that – People want to know why it's going to be hard for me to watch college football. Florida's down 21 to 3. So you can already guess, Kevin, my, the heart monitor is just pounding, you know. It's, but at the same time, that's football, though. Football is who are you when you're down? Not any, anybody can front run. Whether you're a player or a fan, it's the easy thing to do. When your team is good, you can front run. Hey, that's my team. You down 21 to 3. Coaches start looking at the players saying, now we're going to see. So I, 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 just, I just think that when you, uh, when you, when you start thinking about when you start thinking about what Florida was able to prove, they proved that they are sticking with the run game. They're telling, and once again, Emory Jones, we can win even if he doesn't score touchdowns through the air. When people, BJ, something you said, why do you want a dual threat quarterback? And I'm and I'm not comparing him to him. If you saw what Lamar Jackson did last, last night against Kansas City, you want a guy that can throw it in and run it. Because if one thing ain't working, something else is. It's not what and la, and on Saturday he was clicking running the football. So if you Florida gives you a lot of – you still got everything in front of you, right? You still got to play those those guys, you know, from, from Athens down there in, in Jacksonville. You still got the rest of the schedule. But if you Dan Mullen, you're saying to yourself, 
what plays did I leave out there? I am known for my play call. What plays did I leave out there? You can't be afraid to not call plays because you're scared you're going to make a mistake. Mistakes happen in every single play. So I, I just, yeah, yeah, you know, being there saying, you know, Florida, you know, Florida was a miss a PAT away from overtime. That's, you know, talking about more. I mean, yeah, the kickers, look, if I'm not, I do my best to not blame things on kickers because I can't do it. It's only one of them on the team. Maybe where well, it's two or three of them on the college team. You got backups, but I was still very impressed with Florida, man. Sometimes you got to see what you are. How good are we? Are have we taken a step? And that defense, they came to play to only allow to only allow one more touchdown after after being down twenty one three, and you gave yourself a chance to win. That's what you could, that's what you can hope for. So you learn a lot about them Gators. Got to find a way to finish the job, but. Thank God. I, I'm looking at the schedule, hoping we don't have to play Alabama at Alabama next year. Can't can't deal with that nonsense. <laughs> no, I mean, again, I, that was one where I think, in a, even though it was a loss, I think Florida kind of proved to themselves and maybe opened up some eyes. I saw a lot of folks online saying, look, uh, maybe some Georgia fans going, uh, hey, maybe Florida's a little bit better than we thought they were going to be uh, here in, in 2021. But a number of big games. Let's talk about Auburn. They're at Penn State, a wild game. Uh, refs taking away a down from uh, from Penn State, Penn State uh, got a big win. I think that's a team that's trying to contend in the Big Ten. Ohio State shown some vulnerabilities uh, in the first several weeks of their season. This is a Penn State win that, uh, again, BJ had that circled on the calendar for a number of weeks. Uh, before the, the season even started, said, look, that's going to be a game where we find out how good Penn State is how good Auburn is. And I think we learned a lot about both teams. Auburn had cakewalked the first two weeks, kind of got in a dogfight, and uh, Penn State was there and ready to uh, just to step up and answer the challenge. Great game, fun game, great atmosphere. Uh, you know, for, for stretches of that game, uh, you saw Auburn control the line of scrimmage, I thought, especially offensively with Tank Bigsby going over 100 yards, a couple of guys that can run the football. But we were talking about this in the uh, in the show meeting. You really struggled in the defensive backfield. And I think that was the difference, struggles in the secondary for Auburn. And it's kind of strange because you think about all the talent, I think we mentioned a couple of times during the offseason, LSU was like second or third to last in the country in pass defense a year ago. And I think right now, Auburn is last nationally in opponents' completion percentage. So you're giving up high proficiency conversions to your opponents. But listen, I think you can draw some positives from this if you're Auburn, still a team that I think has high expectations and feels like they can play with anybody. But down the stretch, Penn State makes more plays. Credit to Penn State. You mentioned it, Kevin. That was kind of a strangely officiated games. I've got a couple of calls where you're looking around going, wait, what? Uh, but look, credit to Penn State. I think they are legit, and I think they are primed for a run in the Big Ten. Sean Clifford, though, at 28-32, 280 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, 28-32 was efficient. I don't care who's throwing the football. You, you'll take those numbers any day. And once again, we getting caught up in – well, it was only, only 280. Let's get, let's get away from these 300 to 400 yards passing games. I mean, 280 yards, two touchdowns are very, very efficient. But once again, just like Florida, Penn State atmosphere is real. Auburn went into a high side environment, and Auburn lost to a team that might be the that might be the pick for the Big Ten this year. This might be Penn State's year, putting it all together. John Franklin, a guy that's definitely uh, known for you know his, his coaching style, but kind of losing in those prime time games, big time moments, and find a way to get find a way to uh, you know to get it done. And look, I still think Auburn is a good team. Auburn lost to a good, a better team. It's not like they lost to a Bad team. And I know we got to look down the line and see how Penn State ends up. No. Was Penn State good when Auburn played them? Yep. We don't, regardless of what they do down the line, they usually 
a very, very good team. But yeah, BJ, I agree. I mean, that that environment, that play, the refs are under a lot of pressure. But once again, BJ, we'll go back to these refs again. These statements being made, these oops, I'm sorry, we did it again. If they ain't getting fined, I don't want to hear. I mean, if you blew the call and we lost, what is it? Come, don't knock on my door saying, Ben, can we talk? Nope. I don't want to talk. You should, your job is to get it right when it when it matters, you know, during game time. But yeah, great game though. Great atmosphere. 28 to 28, man. Nothing to hang, nothing to hold uh, Auburn's head about. Cause just like Florida, still got everything in front of them. Auburn still got everything in front of them. They ain't even got it to their SEC schedule yet. Certainly. And, and again, I think uh, Auburn, they've got a, a ways to go. I mean, you would expect some with the uh, the new coach, but new coaching staff handled a big environment on the road, I thought, uh, pretty well. And give James Franklin, you could tell they wanted it. Fired up, wide out at night there at Penn State. That was a heck of an environment, and they rose to the challenge. There were so many wild and crazy things happening across college football. We couldn't squeeze it all there in, in, in just one segment. We'll get to your phone calls. 912-342-7184-91 Ben Troop. Glad you're with us. Brooks Austin going to join us top of the second hour now, so he'll join us at uh, at 4 o'clock. We'll uh, talk Georgia and South Carolina with him uh, coming up in just a little bit, and that was part of a wild weekend. Georgia coming out and, again, really dominating. Uh, uh, JT Daniels looks solid. Running game for, I know it's not the explosive running game that people want to see, but you had three backs over 50 yards uh, in the ball game, and you were totally in control. And South Carolina did a whole bunch of nothing uh, on the ground. We talked a lot last week, BJ. Oh, South Carolina's got a whole stable of backs. Uh, I think Kevin Harris averaged about a yard and a half a carry, and I think as a team, they they had less than, seven, less than 80, 70, 80 yards rushing as a team. It was just not, non-existent. Georgia's defense continues to wow, uh, and I know you're talking about giving up a touchdown, and uh, that's hard news to process given how good this group is, but Nolan Smith was incredible. I thought he was a tone setter on Saturday, uh, the Savannah native. He had, I think, eight total tackles, a sack and a half, a forced fumble, and was, of course, a part of that safety with Jordan Davis. So Nolan Smith is a star. It was great to see him playing well. Uh, Davis continues to just wreak havoc right there at the line of scrimmage. And then, yeah, JT Daniels, really proficient. Over 300 yards, pushing the ball downfield. You saw, uh, at times, some big runs. I think you're still working on that a little bit. But, Ben, to me, and we've asked a couple of different people this, Brooks Austin, Gerald Anderson, any of the national guests, does this look like a national championship team? I know that is a high mark, a high standard, but for me, it does. I mean, every single week, you've met the challenge. Clemson in week one, granted a low-scoring game, but you still – defeated a modern-day dynasty. Week two, you're looking around going, well, we would understand if we have a little bit of a letdown against UAB, maybe only win by 14 or 20 points. Nope, 56-7. to You don't have JT Daniels. Next man up, Stetson Bennett comes in, sets records. This week, it's your SEC opener. South Carolina's got a really good defensive line. I know Christian was telling us on Friday, I'm starting to get vibes from 2019. Uh, Nope, you drop 40-plus and you win by almost 30. I mean, Georgia every single week is checking not every box, but most boxes. And to me, it's really impressive, Ben, that this is a team that has had that national spotlight, those unrelenting expectations. And so far, they've met them week to week. Each side of the ball is uh, holding itself accountable. They don't want to let the other side of the ball down. You talk about Nola Smith and what he and him being the tone setter. That that shows that who, and who him being the tone setter just shows that look, I, I want to be able to 
being a guy that kind of set the tone for not just the defense, for the whole team. You talk about BJ the day he had. The thing about it, the thing about JT Daniels is he's winning the ball. He's winning the ball. I mean, he's throwing the ball through the air, you know, being efficient with the football. And what makes the team dangerous when you spreading the ball around. Hey, man, they ain't have no guy go over 100 yards. Who cares? Everybody, Everybody's being involved, which means you don't know where the, where the ball is going to go. And, you, and, and, Kevin, you know, even getting back to the running game, that's what people go. I mean, how do we satisfy all these guys able one ball? Give them all touches, making the most out of the touches that you have. I know we've gotten so used to the, you know, the twenty-four carry guy with one hundred and fifty yards, four touchdowns, or the receiver that had nine, you know, nine catches, one hundred and fifty, and two. But now it's, hey, you want all these five stars to come to your school? You want to keep them all? You want to keep them? You know, uh, you know, all, you know, all, you know, all happy at one time. You know what they care about the most? More than stats, winning. We won the game. And we did it, and we did it in a in a very very efficient way. But that, I mean, I, I saw I saw Eli Drink was say say something about uh, Georgia DB. Said, man, it ought to be a crime. You added Will Muschamp to a defense that was already rock solid. People start saying, man, when you can spend, you you got a guy Will Muschamp who's an analyst or whatever you want to call him, uh, being able to see different angles and letting guys turn guys loose. When you got a defense as good as Georgia, the guys are playing instinctual football. They ain't thinking; they just reacting. It's just reacting, attacking, and just moving. That's going to be hard for anybody uh, that's going to be standing in front of them. But the defense understands, look, we don't look at the scoreboard. We have we control that other offense. What our offense does is on them. But when you know you're going to get extra possessions, sometimes short fields, and dare I say a bunch of three and outs, that's going to, that's going to make it for anybody to go out there and make it happen. And I will say this. I know everybody's getting mad at, uh, uh, you know, Coach Smart, Kermit Smart, but putting in stats a minute. No, that's what you owe him. Because when you needed him, he was there, right? So you put him in. Yeah, oh, he only threw the ball three times, one with a pick. So you, without him in 2020, you don't have a quarterback. And 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 JT Daniels probably needed another week, but they just put him out there because you know public perception drives reality. Step, especially in this college football business. But another week, BJ and Kevin, another dominant performance. And and, 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 and Christian talking about he having some feelings here. Well, what kind of feelings yeah. you got now? But that, well, that is over with. They'll all get plenty of playing time this week as Vanderbilt uh, comes rolling up on the schedule. So it'll be fine. Uh, they can work out all the kinks they need to uh, this weekend. But you look at, again, a uh, big weekend of college football. We've saw, we, we saw a bunch of teams. We talked about uh, Alabama pushed to the brink. Oklahoma late uh, had to uh, hold off uh, Nebraska. Clemson. Uh, had to hold off Georgia Tech. Some of that was uh, Clemson's own doing late in the ball game, but uh, they were in a position where Georgia Tech could have tied the game up late in that ball game and actually gave the ball back uh, to to Georgia Tech in an unlikely situation, but a situation nonetheless where they could have potentially won the game against uh, against Clemson there uh, on Saturday. And if those things happen, boy, what a what a conversation we're having here on a Monday about uh, the top four. And again, I think. The top four is still really good, BJ, but you look around college football, Mississippi State losing to Memphis, Fresno State beating uh, UCLA, the parity, and sometimes we mistake that. And I think sometimes we talk about that in terms of, oh, this team stinks and they're terrible. Sometimes we, we mistake parity for bad football, and I think we're seeing more parity. Now, at the top, there's not any, but as you're seeing, from about 10 down, maybe 12 down in the rankings, week to week, depending on who shows up, weird stuff happens in college football. And I know there was a weird, you know, straight-up wrong call in that Mississippi State, you know, Memphis game that that is overshadowing what was a really good game. Uh, but you mentioned you mentioned Georgia Tech. I was really impressed with that effort. 
really impressed with that effort. And, and people, you know, we're seeing a lot of the, the punditry now say, oh, man, Clemson, Clemson's not that good this year. Well, Clemson offensively is having some, you know, having some issues. We know that. But this defense is still one of the best in college football. I mean, held Georgia without an offensive touchdown. And I still think you're going to see Clemson in the national discussion. They and still haven't Georgia allowed Tech, a touchdown. Right, right. And for Georgia Tech to go into Memorial Stadium, Death Valley, with a very young quarterback in Jordan Yates and have the opportunity to win that game late was awesome to see. And I get it. You're, you're wanting wins out of Jeff Collins. You've not been consistently good yet during his tenure. But much like uh, – even though it's different, much like with Florida, I think you can draw positives from it almost. I really do. And Georgia Tech's defense – was everywhere, was flying to the football. It was great to see Tariq Carpenter have another big game, the former Long County standout. But you look at Georgia Tech defensively, they played more than well enough for their team to win. And the offense, Kevin, uh, you and I actually watched the end of that game together. I know some people, and I get it, I get it, didn't like the call where you run, you ran kind of the, the I don't know what the correct play call has been, where the, the tight end kind of comes off and shoots in, in between the middle of the line and you do like a shovel pass to the tight end. I know a lot of people are saying, hey, well, you didn't throw it in the end zone. And I understand that. But I've seen that play work so many times. It's such a play that catches people off guard, especially if it, you don't run it throughout. It doesn't, the it doesn't against top-notch teams, though. And, and again, this is this is what I would say. And, and Ben maybe disagrees with me here. My point on that was you have Clemson on the ropes in their building. You had a prime example in North Carolina where you go right down a field a couple years ago and you say, oh, man, we might actually do this. We got to pull a rabbit out of the hat here to make this work. No, you don't. Run your offense. That's what got you down there. And I thought Georgia Tech overthought it there. And again, to me, put the ball in the end zone. If it's not caught, that's one thing. But uh, the worst thing to me you want to do, and this is just my philosophy, if I'm, say, South Carolina or I'm Florida and I have a chance to beat Alabama, don't throw it. If I'm on the two, don't throw it to the two and say, I'm going to let my athlete athlete. No, you throw it in the end zone and let your athlete athlete. So if he does, he's already there at touchdown or two-point conversion. I thought that's where Georgia Tech messed up. I thought horrible play call by Dave Patnode getting tricky when you didn't need to. But you need to put the ball in the end zone. Well, against well Clemson, on, don't, don't against Clemson, who's a top one of the top two or three defenses in the country, say, I'm going to give it to this guy. Not even your best guy. I'm going to give it to this guy, my tight end, and he's going to make a play from two yards out against the best against one of the best defense in the country. No, put it in the end zone. Give yourself a chance to either come down with it or you don't, and you potentially win the football game. I, I thought that was trickeration when you didn't need it, much like North Carolina. I understand, when they were yes, down there. I understand and, and, and Ben, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just, for, from the way I saw it, because keep in mind that was fourth down. So you had three opportunities before then from right outside the goal line to convert with more traditional plays, and you were not able to do that. And the reason you were not able to do that is because Clemson has the best defensive line in college football, and they have James Skowski and Balen Specter and Andrew Booth and all these All-Americans on the back seven. There's a reason Georgia Tech couldn't score in that game because Clemson's defense might be the best in the country, right up there with Georgia. And it's not like you weren't – I mean, have I mean, more reason point, to put it in the end Right. Zone. I hear you. But, but, but to your point, it wasn't like a third and seven and you ran a three-yard out. You were on the goal line. And because you had not been able to move the football with traditional mechanisms all game long, you ran a play where it was a shovel pass to the one-yard line. So basically, if you fall forward, you score a touchdown. So I understand what you're saying. I just think for me, given the 
the mismatch on paper against Clemson's defense and the fact that you had three tries previously to get in from the goal line and you couldn't, I thought, to try to catch them off guard with a little bit, uh, a little bit with a play that was still going forward, kind of using that forward inertia and momentum, I was okay with it. I thought Clemson just read it beautifully. This comes down to, to me, this comes down to expectations. If you are Georgia Tech, if you are Georgia Tech offense, you say to yourself, dude, I didn't think we would probably be in the game at this point. Now, now Kevin brings up a good point. When you talk about fourth down, you got certain plays. Right? You got first down, second down, third. If I got one play to win, one, you got to give me the best play in our playbook. If you think that you're gonna the thing about a shovel pass is what happens is you're trying to get everybody, you're trying to get everybody flowing one way. So you notice everybody flowing one way and the, and the tight end comes back. You're not gonna beat Clemson like Vernon, man, Coach Vernon would have lost his mind. What? You're going to beat me with a shovel? No, no. I will say this, though. That's why expectations are so important in college football. If you are if you are Georgia Tech, stop reading this stuff. Stop. Oh, no, dude. You just proved you can play with anybody. Clemson is one of the premier schools in the country regardless of what they're doing. And I don't want to hear that, oh, Clemson ain't having a good year. No. Good teams, good defenses are keeping them from having a good year. Georgia Tech got a good defense. And I, and I just think that when you look back on this game, we ain't in the meeting room. We ain't watching it. But the stuff that bothers you the most is when you have players saying, hey, man, I, you know, I mean, you know, maybe we didn't think we would be in the game. That's not a co- – a coach's job is to put me in the best proposition. Like, you go back – you go even – you go back to Florida's game. You know where Emory Jones had a chance to throw the ball in the end zone. You know what he was doing at the end of the game? Running around. Get – just throw the ball in the end zone. Got sacked. You got to make the plays when they count because North Carolina, they lost because they tried to run – they tried to run the option. When they was almost going to beat Clemson, Clemson, and then and then Georgia Tech lose because I'm trying to run a shovel pass. That kind of stuff works when you got a tight end like Travis Kelsey, which you don't know what he's doing. Dude, he's doing the best tight out. Is he going to run? Is he going to throw it to him? Because last time I checked, he's the only one I see score with it. I got a shovel pass thrown to me one. I got knocked the hell out. You know why? Because <laughs> I don't do that stuff. So for me, don't start making stuff up, man. Listen, football is football when everybody knows what's going to happen. When everybody know where the ball is going, put the ball in the end zone. Because guess what? You got a you got a possibility of having a P, uh, uh, pass interference. Because them DBs nervous. Like, hey man, just because everybody gonna be a little bit more grabby. But hey, I give I give Jeff Collins and Georgia Tech a lot of credit to beat Clemson. I mean, or to even be in the game, which a lot of teams they gonna say they don't get a chance to do, proves a lot. But you got you gotta you know you gotta you, you definitely gotta try to go out there and get yourself the best possible shot. I mean. Because when you expect to go out there and be successful and you actually are, you're, you're more prepared. These coordinators can't be shocked. Like, wait a minute, we're still in the game at the halftime? Yes, because we play football at Georgia Tech, too. I know these dudes right here are the creme de la creme right now. I get it. That's, that's Clemson. But I'm just saying, I mean, but great game, though. And like I said, I just think that we get to – why do we give Clemson the benefit of the doubt based off what they've done and, and look at Georgia Tech and, eh, we need to stop doing that. It's a week-by-week week thing. And and for and for week three it was wacky and Georgia Tech could have was was a big reason why it was wacky. DJU maybe he's not as good as we thought because they shut him down on Saturday. He didn't do anything. He better be like he got a run game because if he didn't, Georgia Tech. I mean Georgia Tech would have won that game. And again, just part of the uh, the craziness we've seen in, in college football. Sometimes it comes down to making that one play. The great teams usually do. The average to not-so-great teams usually don't uh, when it comes down to it at the end of the day. We'll look at the ACC the week that was. Or maybe wasn't there in that league. When we come back, Brooks Austin going to join us top of the hour, uh, second hour here on the show. We'll break down Georgia and South Carolina with him. It's three and out. 
uh, here on the program. We'll look at the ACC, but first, had a comment from Adam Fisher there on Facebook. Thoughts on Kirby's handling of the QB rotation? Is the Stetson Bennett experiment over from Adam Fisher? So we'll uh, answer that question. I'll let you answer it, then we'll get into the ACC here in just a second. Well, Ben, I think what you said made a lot of sense where Stetson Bennett has earned the opportunity to get on the field. I think when he did what he did against UAB, I mean, that was one of the most remarkable halves of football I've I've ever seen. I mean, JT Daniels is the starter. We knew that. He affirmed that. He played really well on Saturday night against a good South Carolina defense. But I think getting getting Stetson Bennett in there makes sense. Uh, I think he's the clear backup right now and has earned that and has shown that when the opportunity is there, when his team needs him, like you said, he's there, he's effective, he's efficient. So, yes, I think I think Kirby Smart has, has, has done a good job with this. And if JT Daniels is healthy, he's out there, he goes. And if he's not, I think you'll see Stetson Bennett in there, and I think that's the right call. Stetson Bennett is not the best player for the for the you know for the Bulldogs. Stetson Bennett might not even be the best quarterback on the you know for the Bulldogs, but he is the most reliable player they have. He is the he has proven it. And sometimes you know in college football you just get a chance to do the right thing. And Kirby Smart is doing the right thing. How do I say thank you to a guy that wasn't even on my roster? I called him a hey, hey, Stetson. Remember us? Hey man, could you come back? Because I mean I'm just saying when you Jamie Newman never played. JT Daniels hurt. And then you got then you got Stetson. Stetson, every time you call on him, he's ready. And it's always, and every time Stetson plays well, well, it was UAB. But when JT Davis plays well, oh my freaking God, this, this, this kid right here got a shot to be the Heisman. Shout out to Stetson Bennett because when people talk about what college football is, it is more Stetson Bennett than JT Daniels. There are more guys like Stetson who just want a shot to go out there and play than a guy who's going to get out of hype. So I know it's all about the four stars and the five stars and the next coming. But if you didn't have Stetson Bennett, where would your team be right now? I think because you know who's not liking it right now? That would be Carson Beck. He is not even in the rotation right now. Well, I don't think I, I think people are trying to make a quarterback controversy where there's not one. Uh, with with that, I think Stetson Bennett played against UAB because JT Daniels was a little banged up and he didn't have to play. And, and Georgia probably knew that. So I'm not saying he can't come in there and produce, but I don't think there's a controversy as to to say the experiment. I don't even know if there was an experiment. I mean, JT Daniels is going to have the show until he can't go out there and play. So uh, I, I think Kirby Smart is doing what he has to do to make sure his team is 100% healthy at the quarterback spot when they play. Uh, the Floridas, the Auburns, and certainly a couple weeks, even the uh, the Arkansas is coming up. Let's take a look at uh, the the week that was in the ACC. Another kind of halfway uh, kind of weekend. Uh, your marquee games didn't do too well in Miami, losing to Michigan State over the weekend. Virginia Tech by I think what a touchdown to to West Virginia uh, over the weekend. Uh, about the best signature out of conference game you got was was Louisville beating Central Florida and. Again, even in conference, Miami or excuse me, Florida State uh, getting trounced by by Wake Forest. So another kind of middling week uh, with some bad losses in there, and uh, what Western Michigan beating Pitt after their big win at Tennessee, uh, not a good bounce back for th- for them either. The ACC has been really bad out of conference. I mean, let's just call it like it is. Now, you did have a couple of good wins. Uh, Duke over Northwestern was was an impressive victory for Duke, who's 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 two and one. I think you look at the 
Louisville game as one of the bright spots you've had this season. And that was on Friday night, primetime on ESPN. Louisville has been, you know, up and down. I think from the outside looking in, expectations were modest. They were in a really fun back and forth game with UCF and led for much of that game. Malik Cunningham, a couple of touchdowns. Louisville was able to run the football. But how about that finish, guys? I mean, you throw a pick where you're potentially going in for the for the game-winning field goal. The defense easily could have came out there and been like, oh, my God, we just lost it. We're down near midfield. You could have, you know, hung your head. You could have looked. No, we're going to make a play. And uh, Jalen Alderman gets an interception, takes it over 60 yards back to the house with mere seconds left. The stadium goes crazy. You get a big win over a named program. Shout out to Louisville. Big plays on offense, and when you had to have it, right when it seemed like the momentum was completely in the favor of UCF. Not only did you get the pick, you took it to the house. That was an incredible finish and a great win for Scott Satterfield in Louisville. Shout out to them Louisville boys, BJ, because once again, UCF, they're, they're a marked team too. People people want to beat them. UCF don't mind telling people when they beat them. They don't mind flooding the Twitter sphere, telling people how good they are. And... <laughs> Listen, just like Texas being welcomed to the SEC by Arkansas, UCF, this is their last shit. They about to head over to the Big 12 Louisville say what? Y'all think y'all too good? Okay, well, I'm gonna, let me go ahead and get my last little, you know, my last little kicks off, you know, with you guys. But I, I just think, too, I just give credit to certain teams for certain reasons. Like Michigan State, Miami, Michigan State, just like Penn State is saying, hey, if, if Ohio State isn't as good, this might be an opportunity for us. And we get, we did it against a really, really good team in Miami. Now, West Virginia and Pitt, that's a head stretch. I mean, West of Michigan, I mean, my goodness. I mean, sometimes Kevin Kevin says the ACC will ACC itself, and they're already doing it. But look, West Virginia, Virginia Tech, I mean, it happens. I mean, Florida State right now, it's just, it just, it just not – I mean, once again, Florida State, going to have to send out an I apologize to Willie Taggart. Because I thought it was Willie Taggart's fault. And it's not. But we'll see what happens with the, with the rest oh, of the ACC Kevin 0-3 for the first time since the 70s. Uh, that's not. That's more than it happens. It's, that's, that's, that's a whole other level and not good. Uh, now, you know what I think this might be, Kevin? Because watching that game, I mean, you had just insane stuff happen. Like in the first quarter... Wake Forest on their on their opening drive throws an interception at midfield. You're thinking, okay, there's the momentum Florida State needed. What did Florida State do? Two plays later, they fumbled, and then Wake Forest threw a 60-yard touchdown pass. You go back to the end of the game, Florida State was trying to make a little bit of a rally. They get to the one-yard line, and they do a quarterback sneak with McKenzie Milton. What happens? Fumbles into the end zone, picked up by Wake Forest. So in some ways, you guys know I talk about the market correction Florida State finished in the top four for, what, like 15 straight years? This feels like 30 years of market corrections coming at once, and, yeah, it's bad. They're they're completely out of sorts, still a talented team, but no confidence. But I did want to ask you about, about Duke, Kevin. I know you're a big fan of David Cutcliffe. And uh, seriously, and I, no, want I, people, I, I want people to pay attention to this name. Mateo Durant is one of the best running backs in the country. Right now, he has 401 yards through three games. That's good for fifth in college football. He is tied for the national lead with seven rushing touchdowns, and he also had a receiving touchdown against Northwestern. Led the way in that win over the Wildcats. And when I look at – and hear me out. When I look at ACC Player of the Year candidates right now, Mateo Durant from Duke is on that short list. He's been one of the best players in the conference. He is a star at running back. Well, it ain't gonna be DJU. I know that. So, so might as well put somebody up there who got some stats. But look, I, 
it's it's week three. We're gonna overreact, you know, when it comes when it comes to the ACC, because we expect we expected, you know, uh, Miami to beat. You know, Michigan State didn't happen. UCF, BJ, when they throw that, you know, when UCF get the pick, you think Louisville is going to lose. But I will say this, just because we think the ACC down and you and they play these out-of-conference teams, there are teams that say, hey, man, they, they circling these teams on their schedule. So we'll see what happens in week four. But Georgia Tech, guess what? Y'all play football up there in the ATL, too. Y'all could have beaten them boys from Clemson. I've been to Clemson. There was nothing there. They got to freaking Piggly Wiggly down there. Get out of here with that nonsense, man. You got a Piggly Wiggly. You got all you need, man. I don't know why you, I don't know why you hating on that. Yeah, you got, you got, you, they, still got, they still got them two for $3 uh, cupcakes, though, and they keep them frozen. <laughs> yes, I do know a little bit about the Piggly Wiggly. Yeah. As a quick look at the uh, the week that was in the ACC, Brooks Austin, uh, Dogs Daily on SI will join us coming up top of next hour. We'll get to take three next hour as well. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network, streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com, also live on Facebook. It's coming up at the top of next hour. We'll look at Georgia and South Carolina. Also look at the weekend that was for the Falcons and Jags. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll look at that coming up in hour number two uh, as well. But a lot of big games this week uh, in the SEC. Philip Fulmer going to join us tomorrow on the program. Just uh, got that uh, news. So looking forward to uh, to having him on uh, the show tomorrow as well. Did get a uh, quick comment here before we step aside, uh, Ben, from uh, Facebook. Ben Anderson said, so what was with the soft patty cake pass interference calls against Florida? Obviously, Ben is a Florida fan. You are also. But what's with that? I'm not, I'm not going to. Let us know. I- I uh, I can appreciate aggressive DBs and and because because think about this if, if the DB is aggressive that I mean look I'm gonna make these deep, I'm gonna make these receivers fight for every single ball I mean Kaya Elam and those guys those guys came to play Bryce Young still had an incredible game it was those guys at the backfield it was those running backs really making plays in the passing game that really hurt but I'm not I'm not, look if, if I'm not gonna make excuses when it goes for this way I'm not gonna make excuses when it doesn't shout out to them Alabama boys for forcing uh forcing Kaya and and those DBs to trade. Trading those guys to be aggressive, which they were, and uh, dare I say, uh, those guys, uh, they are they earned their money on Saturday because it was a dog fight. That's a good point about the Bama running backs. Jace McClellan had one of the plays of the game, obviously in the passing game there for Alabama. But uh, Kevin, you mentioned we have Philip Fulmer tomorrow. See how Ben dropped that on us, man? It's like we're in the show meeting, going, "Yeah, we're going to talk about the Braves," and then big, "Oh yeah, I got Philip Fulmer." I, I'm sorry, I didn't know you could just pick up the phone and call. Fi- I mean, not all of us can just say, "Hey, coach, man, it's Ben. Can you come on the show tomorrow?" Not all of us can do that. Look at the end, at the end of the day, I call, I I, call, I talk to coach. Coach said, "Is Kevin gonna be there?" I said, "Yeah." He says, "Kevin gonna be there." I go, "Yeah, Kevin." All right. He said, "I can come on." He said, I, "He said if Kevin wasn't gonna be there, I'll think about." it. I said, "Kevin's gonna be here." He said, "Is it gonna be K? Is it gonna be Kevin Thomas or KT Blazer?" I said, "Who do you want it to be?" <laughs> <laughs> Whichever one he needs, I'll be here for him. Uh, at the end of the day. Uh, when it's all said, all said and done. We got plenty to get to in hour number two. We will talk dogs football when we return with uh, Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI. Georgia looked good again, uh, really taking it to South Carolina. So we'll discuss that with Brooks. Also, take three next hour. And we'll look again, as I said, at the Falcons and Jags week two in the NFL. Uh, slightly better, but not by much than week one for both of those teams. Uh, I will say that as we look ahead to, uh, to chatting. Uh, Falcons and Jacks coming up in hour number two. It is three and out. Brooks Austin joins us when we return all across the Southern Pigskin. Resounding fashion and Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI. Joins us as he does each and every Monday here on the show. Brooks, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, gentlemen. How are you guys today? 
man, we are uh, are fantastic. Uh, South Carolina, everybody talking about, hey, they're going to at least have a stable of running backs. They're going to try to come in and run the football. Well, they didn't do that. Uh, talk about that performance yet again by Georgia, especially defensively once again. Yeah, I mean, it, it seemed like defensively, they're going to pretty much give everyone problems most of the year, I would imagine. I mean, Arkansas is going to try to be a run-heavy football team. That's the thing for me. When I look at opponents coming into Athens, if you're or, – or, or wherever you're playing, Georgia, if your main goal is, hey, we're going to run the football on these guys, or if your offensive identity is we like to run the football – you're going to have a really, really long day against this team. The only reason South Carolina even had a, an assemblance of success is because Josh Van played like a madman. I mean, he, he had really, really good success getting on top of multiple corners from Georgia, not just Keely Ringo, not just Samir Speed. He got Deere and Kendrick uh, a, a couple times, too, just getting behind him. So if you don't have a dominant weapon outside that can beat press man-to-man -man coverage and you think you're a run-heavy football team, you are going to struggle against this defense for the remainder of the year, no matter who you are. Um, and I, I think that's going to continue to play true, uh, especially as this schedule plays out for Georgia. Wanted to get your perspective on Nolan Smith. Saturday night was all over the field, was a tone set, uh, uh, setter. What made him so effective against South Carolina? I mean, he disengaged better than I've seen him do uh, in his college career so far. Nolan's a great athlete. He's a hard worker. He's always in the right place, that kind of stuff. But in the pass game, like when it comes to rushing the passer, he's had a really, really tough time at separating and disengaging from uh, offensive linemen over the past couple of years. The, the strip sack was an excellent, excellent long arm. He, st he took that left arm, stabbed that uh, left tackle right in the chest, and then dipped right up underneath him and, and got his hands off of him and then disrupted the football. So it's three great moves. It's the long arm. It's the ability to disengage. And then it's the ability to now become a Havoc player, right? Now separate the quarterback from the football. So I think what you're seeing is as reps come, and, and this is every player, but especially pass rushers, as, as the reps come and as you get settled into your position and you get to play a lot more, this is a player that's set behind Aziz Ojolari for two years, as that, as that continues to happen, you're going to become a better football player. No doubt about it. As the experience comes, so will your uh, your production level. And I think that's something that Georgia fans should really be excited for as the season continues. Brooks, this running game is, you know, it's a work in progress. You understand that, especially when you used to a Kirby Smart-led team to be a run-first team. But they're doing it really, really by committee, not really giving nobody. I think, uh, I mean, I think at the end of the day, I mean, when, when I look at Kendall Mill, I think he had 10 rushes on the day. But, how efficient is it still, though? I mean, you're not getting the big runs. You're not getting one guy going over 100. But to know that you got fresh bodies coming in, you know, first, second, third, and fourth quarter, still got to bowl well for an offense that seems to be more pass-heavy. Yeah, I think it's a little bit overblown, to be honest with you, Ben. Like, the, the UAB film, when I when I turned it on, I was like, wow, these, these guys just really aren't moving them off the ball. They're not resetting the line of scrimmage. They're not doing anything that you would expect an SEC football team to do to a mid-major opponent. Well, coming into that, I kind of knew that was going to happen in terms of if you're just going to line up and play bully ball against UAB, you're going to have trouble moving the football in the run game. They're just too big. But then again, I look back at it, and I'm like, wow, I mean, they're not doing any jet sweeps. They're not hardly doing any bubble screens to the field. They're not really using space and playing in space. They're just running day one install stuff. They're not trying to show anything. And then you get a, you turn the film on this South Carolina game, 
And, well, there's James Cook for a jet sweep around the corner for 20 yards. Oh, there's, uh, you know, uh, Kenny McIntosh for 18 yards on a bubble screen uh, to the trips formation. Like, it just was very, very vanilla against UAB, and they just kind of showed up and did what they did. Again, they did day one install run stuff. I saw them doing some stuff with tight ends, using motion to seal the edge, doing a little pin and pull with Jamari Sawyer. That I think that's the main reason for continued success in this run game. How creative can we actually be? Or do we need to turn out and be like 2019 Georgia offense where we're just going to line up and run inside zone at your face 30 times today? And if we have great success, well, it's because we've got four NFL future football players on our front line. That's not the case anymore. I mean, they've got some studs up there, but it's not like they got all SEC, all pro type future developments, right? They're, the Andrew Thomases, the Isaiah Wilsons, the Saul McKinleys, the Trey Hills, who's had a, a great start in his uh, you know, career in the NFL. Those type of guys aren't on this line anymore. So now it's about, hey, how creative can we be? How much can we stretch the defense? How, how much can we stress the defense with pre-snap motion, with post-snap action, stuff like that? Saw a lot of counter Saturday as well. Brooks, how much of that is uh, maybe not in week one when, when they played Clemson, but now playing it kind of close to the vest simply because of who you're playing? Uh, and, like, look, our defense is not going to give up 30 to Vanderbilt uh, or, or South Carolina or whatever uh, in the coach's mind. Could they just be playing, as you said, close to the vest, not trying to get overly technical and say, look, just go out and play a solid game offensively, and our defense is not going to let them score. We'll be just fine. Yeah, I mean, for me, you don't want to show the whole playbook, right? But as football players, I, I don't want to look up in November in, in a heated contest and be called upon to, to run a play I haven't ran in, in, in game, right? I, I want to get some type of reps on it, even if it means showing it on tape. Because here's the deal. Georgia may show one look out of one formation and then later on in the year develop it out of an entirely different formation and personnel package, which it takes away the tendencies. That's all you're really trying to do. When, when coaches say, well, we don't want to show too much on tape. We don't want to show too much for our next opponents. You can show whatever you want as long as you package it different and put a different bow on it the next time you run it. And that's what makes a guy like Munkin so great. He can – there's a thousand different ways to skin a cat. There's a thousand different ways to run truck sweep. There's a thousand different ways to run uh, levels concept like he did last week uh, against your AB and comes out against uh, a, an SEC opponent in South Carolina and runs levels, a very basic install from a totally different formation, a totally different personnel package, and a totally different set. So that, that's the thing for me. And, and what, But what that requires, guys, is to have an offensive group and have a group of players that's smart enough to absorb a playbook that large, right? Because you're not. it's not just the basics of the basics. It's taking the basics and multiplying them to 100 different degrees. JT Daniels, look healthy, look good. Uh, how is that for a return for him in your mind? I mean, 303, I, th I think he had, what, 72% completion percentage, 70% completion percentage. I, I think the interception, he's trying to force the ball to Fitzy there. That that's the kind of stuff that you're going to get from JT Daniels when he's fully healthy. And to me, it was almost a sign of like, oh, there's there's that guy. Like, that. that's what makes him great. He still he still looks at it, and he's still a risk taker, and he's still like, hey, look, I, I think I can fit that ball, right? Even if it means I got to I gotta take a shot and drill this ball into a window yeah it gets intercepted but I look at it based off what I saw at Clemson I saw a guy at Clemson that was taking no risk a guy that was taking no shots and what it led to is a guy that I think he was what 21 for 28 in that football game for like 170 yards 
That's not JT Daniels. If JT Daniels completes 21 uh, completions, by God, he's pushing up on 300 yards over his career. That's what he does. He's trying to drive the ball down the field. So when I see the deep shot on a, on a skinny post to Adonai Mitchell, when I see the deep shot to Jermaine Burton, when I see him trying to fit a ball into a tight window like that to Fitzy, even though it's an interception, those three plays, I look at him, I'm like, yeah, no, nah, he's – He's ready. He he might have been ready last week. He's definitely ready now. That oblique injury is not giving him any issues. I mean, Brooks, the curious case of Stetson being it just it just won't go away, right? I mean, it, even with a game like this, got to have a little controversy, even even if it's overblown. But I mean, are people just making too much out of it? Because I look at it as look, a guy like Stetson Bennett, and I said this last segment, he might not be your best player by far, but he's definitely he's definitely your most reliable. There are too many players that have been thrown into a situation like he's been in 2020 and, you know, against UAB in 2021. Do you think he, you think old Kirby Smart just got a little soft side for Stetson Bennett and telling everybody else, look, if I want to put him in, I'm going to put him in. I just hope he don't go one for three for, you know, with a pick. Yeah, see, I, I, I got to be honest. I, I question the decision. I mean, you're up 14 to six or 14 to three at that point. Your offense is really, really moving the football. I mean, JT Daniels is looking great. Your defense is kind of struggling to open the game. They're getting people behind them, and and we throw Stetson Bennett out for one possession as, as if, I mean, he throws an interception. But here's here's the deal. I don't, I don't see any upside to it, right? Like, And the, the response may be, well, Stetson Bennett deserves that opportunity, right? He deserves to get out there and play the play that game. Guys, there's, there's a bunch of walk-ons on that roster that have earned the right to play, that deserve to play based off what they do in practice. They work really, really hard. You don't see you don't see Kirby Smart rolling that guy out there. Like He still plays his dudes at other positions. Like Just because Stetson Bennett stuck around and was here and, and, and went into a football game at UAB last week and performed at the utmost ability, that doesn't mean moving forward he just gets opportunities to go onto the field. Your starter is still your starter. And if your starter is healthy and he's playing well, until it's a 30-point game or a four-score game late in the second quarter or third, second half, that guy typically doesn't get onto the football field. So what? why? That's my question. I think that's what Georgia fans want to know, why. It, it's because he earned it, right? You, you give it to him? What? Okay, but again, you're not making that decision at any other position for any other player. So that's the only thing I scratch my head about. Um, and and it, I, it just, it, it's very, very confusing to me, but it doesn't really matter, right? Because the, the result was the result. You win the right. game, you win the game by 29 points or whatever it was, 27 points, and you move on, right? And I, I don't think you see anything like that happen uh, the rest of the year, I wouldn't imagine. Yeah, it seems like you're trying to create a controversy where there's not one, uh, you know, really, and when, by doing that, and obviously – and you make a great point because what happens if, if Stetson Bennett goes out and does the same stuff he did the, the week before? What happens if he goes on a, a on a four-for-four four drive, throws a daggum bomb, scores a touchdown, comes back the next drive, does the same daggum thing? Well, well, now we got we got radio hosts asking Brooks Austin, is there a quarterback controversy because Stetson Bennett should play? Not it, why in the heck did he trot him out there? Like there, To me, there's just no upside other than giving – uh, Stetson Bennett a, a, a smack on the butt and say, good job, kid. Thanks for doing what you've done for this university. And if that's the case, that's fine. But let's do that in the second half when we're <laughs> up 30 points and you, you can just get him onto the field, not in the middle of the first quarter when things are still, you know, the, the game's still to be decided. Looking ahead, Brooks, this uh, week, I, go ahead, BJ. I'm sorry. Looking ahead, Brooks, Vanderbilt, clearly. Sorry, we got the video delay. I'm thinking you're talking, <laughs> I'm talking. Uh, Vanderbilt, not good. Uh, what, do the, what do the coaches want to accomplish here this upcoming weekend? 
uh, get better. That, 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 that'll be the thing they keep talking about. Um, I think you see them go back to a very vanilla approach in the run game. You still, like to me, watching it on tape, you've still got to prove, not, not just to, to people outside the building, you got to prove to yourself inside that building that you can dominate the line of scrimmage. You can run the football. If you've got a lineup with six or seven in the box and run the daggum ball, you've got to be able to prove that to yourself. Um, I think the other thing is, I, I think this is a great opportunity and a great game to get guys that maybe haven't been on the field back onto the field and comfortable. I'm, I'm looking at Karius Jackson getting several touches. I would feed him the ball to make sure he's ready to go for Arkansas. Same thing if and when Dominic Blaylock gets back onto the field. Can we Do we see Darnell Washington? Do we see Tyke Smith? This is a perfect, the way the schedule's set up, this is a perfect opportunity for Georgia, who's been very, very banged up this year, to find some continuity with some of these guys coming back onto this roster. That, that would be the most important thing to me. Lick your wounds, get healthy. Guys like Quay Walker still battling a nagging ankle injury. Get that guy healthy. Um, got guys like Warren Erickson, who still, I mean, have to, I think on tape, he's still got a hand protector on his hand. Get that guy healthy. Okay, get Darnell Washington back into the formation. Get him back situated. Get uh, JT Daniels back into a full groove, even though he looked pretty daggum good uh, against South Carolina. Brooks Brooks Austin Jordan is here on uh, three and out. No, that's a fine bit. I was just uh, I was basically gonna ask no, what listen, 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 wait, 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 well. Brooks hit the going. I should listen, Brooks and listen, let me tell you something. Look at me. I'm not putting Sesson in there. But if exactly. Coach asks, I put him in there. That's fine, Coach. I respect <laughs> that. But he ain't asked me. No, I no, I no, I mean before we let you get out of here, Brooks, man. When you think about this Georgia team, obviously it's a week by week thing, right? They're not they're not looking far down the road. Does that have more to do with what has happened in the past or just Kirby Smart understands? Look. When you Georgia, everybody's waiting. And and even if we don't lose, oh, are there some kinks in the armor? Do you think it has more to do with the personality of the head coach? And maybe these players are saying, listen, coach, you don't feel the pressure because we take the blunt of the pressure and we make sure that we don't we, we respect every single player and every single team because it's about the current team, not the teams that's coming. Yeah, I mean, I I think we talked about this a little bit last week, right? The the one thing that Kirby had two like things left on his resume heading into this season. I thought one was beating an opponent that has as good of a roster or a better roster than you. He hadn't done that. He lost to LSU in 2019. He's lost to Alabama three times. He has not faced a roster that's better than him and beaten him. Well, he did it this year against Clemson. Okay, that, that roster is as good, if not better, than Georgia's when he got that he got the win there. The other question is, hey, can we avoid 2018 Auburn? Can we avoid 2019 South Carolina? Can we avoid uh, 2020 Florida just not showing up to a football game, giving up 350 passing yards in the first half? The rest of this schedule, to me, is about that. Can, can we play to the standard? And that's something he talks about all the time. Can you play to the standard week in and week out and play like you're playing Clemson every single week? Because that's what it takes in a four-team playoff with Alabama looming in a potential SEC championship game. That's what it takes to make the college football playoff nowadays. You've got to be perfect every single week. Um, even in the SEC, you've got to be perfect to open up doors moving down the down the road. And I think they will continue to do that. that that's something that I've seen this week was incredible, watching these guys come out and attack and attack and attack. Um, and, and I think another thing that pointed to it was last week against UAB, they're up 45 to 6 or something, 45 to 6 at that point. And by God, Carson Beck's running the offense. They're running no huddle. They're throwing the ball. They're driving down and trying to score. And go up fifty-two to seven, so or fifty-two to six. So those kind of things. When I see those, I'm like, all right, yeah, may, maybe this team is a little bit different. And then you add on to that just how old the roster is. A lot, a lot of seniors on this football team. 
Brooks Austin Dogs Daily on SI. Joining us here on 3 Now, Brooks, uh, always a pleasure. We'll talk again next week. See you guys. Brooks Austin joining us here on three and out dogs and Vandy uh, this week. That one shouldn't be much of a contest if Georgia comes out of the gate and plays the way they have pretty much all season long. We've got more to come. Take three when we return here on three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio. Now that three and out. All right, fellas, take one. Can you vote for anybody besides Bama here at, at number one? If they keep winning, regardless of what the store, I know I saw some folks saying, well, it was very close against Florida. Are you voting anybody else number one as long as Bama keeps winning? I mean, to answer that to the extent of the question, even with an exaggerated uh, uh, projection, I would say no. Like if Alabama beats Southern Miss 2-0, to zero, then I would probably vote them number two. But barring something dramatically unforeseen like that, of course. I mean, they've won 17 games in a row. They've been dominant against every single team they've played, except Florida a couple of times. Uh, I do think that people are underappreciating the win against Florida. And I know, I, I know Christian talked about it on second down. Any other program in the country, including Clemson or Ohio State, if they go to the Swamp and beat the number 11 team in the country, we're saying, that's a great win. You went to the Swamp and won a hostile environment. A top 10, top 15 team. You you know, you held on when they rally. But Alabama does it and we go, oh, well, it wasn't 40 to nothing. That's crazy. And it's not fair to Alabama. So I would rank them. I would rank them number one, you know, barring something just dramatically unforeseen, like a, like a ridiculous game where you just look terrible. But I'll also say this, and I've talked with you guys about this before. Once a certain margin of victory is met, I don't, I don't care about margin of victory. Because to me, the difference in Alabama beating Southern Miss 34 to 3 and beating Southern Miss 74 to 3 is a matter of desire. Once you come out and establish that you're clearly better than your opponent and they cannot win the game and you've dominated every aspect of the box score, all running up the score does is show your desire and willingness to run up the score. So if Bama wins 30 to 7 this weekend, are they still my number one? Absolutely. Can you vote for someone other than Alabama as long as they keep winning, you know, regardless of the score? Yeah, you can, but you being biased and it's something about you because you ain't really, you ain't, the one thing I, the one thing Alabama has proven no matter what is we don't appreciate greatness. We just talk about it. Do you want your team that you root for to be great? Yes. Do you want a team that your team plays to be great? No. Alabama is the best team in college football if they win the national championship or not. They're still the best team because to beat to, to, to play in the net, you got to beat them. Whether it be in the NC Championship game, college football playoff, what may happen. But yes, Alabama is doing something we don't see anymore, and that is dominate. Most times we use the word dominate, Kevin, to be just because it just fits, you know, it just fits uh, you know, the narrative, whatever we talk about at the time. No, Alabama brought out the best in Florida on Saturday. There aren't too many teams to bring out the best in a team uh, when they're the best team in college football. They was up by 21 to 3, and listen. Florida, they came back and gave everything they had. But guess what? All Florida had to do is go three, two yards or three yards and tie it up. Alabama said no. And BJ, it kind of goes back to what you just said. So you're telling me we could be up 21 to three. Y'all could come back all the way up against us? Yeah. But the hardest yard is going to be when everybody knows. When everybody knows what you got to do, that's what we had our best. The best teams find a way to shut you down when everybody knows. So yeah, if you don't vote for nobody else, old St. Nick. I mean, he, you know, I mean, you know, he just, he just finds a way to get it done. And like I said, St. Nick, he, and I, I don't want to be in that meeting room, Kevin. But 
somebody gonna have to somebody gonna have to get them four letter words. But no, I've never seen a team be under more scrutiny for winning the game like I see with Alabama because we used to them just up by twenty one to three. Okay, they end up winning, you know, forty to ten. But we don't see thirty one twenty nine. But hey, man, you you don't vote for nobody else. And and and, and the twenty twenty nine preseason already came out, and Alabama gonna be ranked number one. They're still there. Surprise, surprise. No, I, again, I. I I'm one, BJ, I don't like punishing a team for losing, especially at the top. I mean, if you're for winning, rather. If you're at the top and you win, what else are you supposed to do, whether it's by two points or 20? I mean, you know, I think that is uh, ridiculous that you would, until somebody beats them, they, they, they stay there. Uh, take two, does Clemson have a top five offense in the ACC? Again, we saw them struggle against Georgia. Saw them struggle again last weekend or last Saturday against Georgia Tech offensively. I mean, where are they at right now? They're not top five. I mean, if you want to know statistically where they are in the ACC, I'll be glad to tell you, and it's last. Uh, Clemson is 14th in the ACC out of 14 teams with 322.7 yards per game. That is last by a wide margin in the ACC. In terms of yards per play, Clemson is averaging 4.82. That is also last in the ACC. Uh, So this is a group that has not been good so far this season. And when you talk about the better offenses in the ACC, I think you're looking at North Carolina, of course. Virginia's been great. Uh, Pitt continues to be great. NC State, really good. Duke, surprisingly, has been good. Louisville, very good with, with, uh, you know, what we saw last Friday night. So, no, they're not. They're not. And they have some work to do. And not to completely change the subject, but to me, in some ways, this further validates the argument that Travis Etienne is one of the greatest college football players we've ever seen. Just him being on the field, and I think Clemson will get it right and be more productive moving forward, but just Travis Etienne being on the field, even if he didn't touch the football, made Clemson dramatically more dynamic and explosive and balanced. So uh, they're going to get right. I mean, Uyangalale is a really good player, but right now, no, they are not. No, they're not, BJ. And like you said, we need to stop giving. We need to start giving the benefit of the doubt to a team like Clemson. And BJ, something you just said that might not happen. You said they're going to get right. Are they? Are they going to get right? Because once again, we we look past we look past how great some of these players they've had in recent years ago, right? Like Deshaun Watson, big time player. But then you talk about, I mean, BJ, you I mean, you talk about Kelly Brown. Well, he had Travis 18. Then you go from that to Trevor Lawrence. So you had some great players on offense. Justin Ross missed a whole year. No problem. You get a BJU. No. No, no, no. We thought that Georgia showed, Georgia showed, okay, it's Georgia. They exposed him. Um, I'm sorry. Did you, Georgia Tech shut DJU down. Like, Georgia Tech's, Georgia Tech's pass defense was, might, might be more, only thing they didn't do was have a pick six. Their pass defense, it might be more impressive than what Georgia did. You know why? Because Georgia, first game of the year, I mean, you talking about all, nobody talking about Georgia Tech's front seven. We don't say that Georgia Tech got the best defensive line in the country. So for me, BJ, they just got exposed by a young up-and-coming defense of Jeff Collins who said, I'm getting sick and tired of hearing about DJU and Clemson because the same way Florida used Alabama as a measure of stick, Georgia Tech used Clemson as one. Yeah, they came out on the losing end, but look at but look at but look at the effort. So yes, Georgia Tech only showed what Georgia Tech, I mean what, what Georgia what Georgia started week one, and I mean they alright. And we only saying that all right, BJ, because they Clemson. If they didn't have on orange and purple, that would be awful. And so we need to call it what it is. Right now, they're not getting it done. Justin Ross is nowhere to be found. 
and they just think, okay, we can just will out with it. Better be happy. They had a little injury level running game. Cause that 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 that, uh, that pass the game. Them Georgia Tech DB said, not today, not now, not ever. Be not pass go. Sorry, DJU. We ain't Georgia. We Georgia Tech. We play football in the ATL too. And they got uh, again a little ways to go. We'll see what happens. If anybody gets them, I mean, uh, they're gonna have some big games. Uh, at least in conference, some, some teams that might give them a little bit, a uh, little bit of trouble still uh, down the road. All right, take three. The most important question, obviously. Uh, Christian always hits us with the national whatever it is day out there. So today, apparently, it's there's three different ones. Today's National Pepperoni Pizza Day. It's National Queso Day and National Fried Rice Day. You got to get rid of one. Two can stay. One's got to go. What are you kicking? Oh, queso's gone. I mean, listen. I like queso. It's very, very good. It's, it's you know, something I enjoy. But when you talk about fried rice, I mean, that is special. And pepperoni pizza. Had some pepperoni pizza this weekend. I mean, that's one of my favorites. I'm not saying it's an easy choice to make. I'm not saying that it's something where I'm happy about getting rid of the queso. We were talking about this in the show meeting. All of us love queso. It's something that's very enjoyable. But he put us in a difficult position. Christian's saying one has to go. I mean, before I send one off, I would, you know, I would double check. Are you sure I have to send one off? And if it's yes, it's going to be the queso because fried rice is just spectacular. You can do it a number of different ways. And then pepperoni pizza is a regular fixture in my diet. Listen, pepperoni pizza is, is, is here to stay no matter what. I mean, deep dish, thin crust, as long as you're giving them pepperoni, what, the big pepperoni, little pepperoni, spiced pepperoni. I'm, I'm a pepperoni pizza dude all day long, and I like queso. I really, really like queso, but all queso ain't made, ain't made equal, uh, Kevin. I you know we, I know we talked about it before the show, but this thing about fried rice. I mean, do you want pork fried? Do you want chicken fried? Do you want shrimp fried? Do you just want do you just want vegetables in it? Either I will take them all, please. Just dump them all here, and, and I don't even need the soy sauce. Get right away. And Kevin, something you said. Kevin said re. Kevin said reheating fried rice not good. No, take this. Get a little bit of water on your fingers, and you put it over there. Put your little butter. You know, about about a minute, and you got Kevin. I'm gonna reheat some rice for you to show you not how you how you supposed to do it. But listen, fry anybody. Look, I'm gonna tell you something. Once Usually rice is Kevin, not in the refrigerator, it's, it's not coming back. <laughs> Kevin also doesn't believe that it's, that it's double and triple fudge. Kevin don't think that kind of thing is real. A double okay, hold on. All right, all right, Ben, hold on a second. If we're talking about all the things Kevin doesn't believe, you know, you're talking about you're talking about double fudge. You're yeah. talking about you're talking about reading a triple talking, a triple chocolate. You're talking about vegetables. I mean, there's a lot of things that Kevin doesn't believe in. No, Kevin says Kevin says you don't really eat salad. You eat dressing. With a little salad underneath it, like, hey man, can I have a little salad because I can't just eat the ranch by itself? No. So when Kevin says, "What is a triple chocolate chunk?" Kevin said, "It's called. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. Exist. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't it's exist. You're just making it it's up. Not, it's, it's not triple chocolate. But listen, if you ever seen Kevin, if you ever see Kevin Thomas reading a book while eating triple chocolate and a salad, that ain't him. That that's that was somebody else. Kevin's having <laughs> the, a real bad day. The doppelganger just move on. No, the fried rice can go. It's fine. Queso is good. You can use queso on just about everything. So fried rice will go for me. That's take three. We'll come back. We're talking Falcons and Jags. And, well, there's a lot to unpack there with both those teams. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin. Week one uh, was bad. Week two, was it any better? I know the uh, the final score, BJ and Ben, if you look at the Falcons, Tampa Bay, you go, man, Falcons just laid down again. It was really what you're talking about, four or five minutes left in the game. The Falcons are in it or, or it, sitting around that, right in that area. And then back-to-back pick sixes, a shank punt, uh, puts uh, Tampa Bay in great field position. And then you look at the final score, you're like, well, you weren't really close at all uh, in that ball game. What did you see this week 
that gave you any indication that maybe uh, this thing's going in a good direction for for the uh, the Falcons, or is it just look? You're playing the defending champs. Most people kind of assumed that's how it was going to go. Yeah, I think this this sounds a little crazy given that 48 points were scored. But as you mentioned, you know, a good chunk of that non-offensive uh, uh, production coming from Tampa. I thought you were able to get after Brady a little bit. I think you had three sacks, and that's something you can build on. Uh, I do think this is a better team than an 0-2 record would indicate, but you are what your record says you are. And you played the defending champs. Well, no one else cares. They're in your division. So I'm not surprised at the result, but I do think you were able to get a little bit of a pass rush, which is a good thing. And like you said, late in the game, you were at least in the mix until you had a couple terrible mistakes. But yeah, uh, the punting game, not good. You know, you start talking about pick sixes, not good. I mean, three picks overall for Matt Ryan. Uh, you know, Gronk and, and Antonio Brown are going to do what they do. But I think maybe some positives you can draw from this. But at the end of the day, you lost by multiple scores. And in the league, no one cares who you lose to. Did you win? Did you lose? Got to get better. <sighs> the thing about the thing about the Falcons, what, what should be the most uh, frustrating outside of the last, you know, the, the, the waning moments of the game when, you know, the back-to-back pick sixes was. It's not like Tom Brady. It just – it just – Carving them up, you know, like through the air in a sense, like like deep passing games. Mike Evans had five catches, 75 yards, two touchdowns. Chris Godwin had four catches, 62 yards in a touchdown. Gronk had four catches, 39 yards, and two touchdowns. DJ Howard had one catch, 21 yards. You know who really hasn't been efficient for Tampa Bay this year? Leonard Fournette. He don't have to be. I mean, he's out there giving you pedestrian-type numbers. But that's the thing about Atlanta. It's like when they implode, they implode. You're like, what? Like, what is happening? It's almost like they started getting pressure up the middle on Matt, Matty Ice, and he started seeing goals. Yeah, okay. You know, Kyle Pitts, five catches, 73 yards, 14.6 yards a catch. Who cares? If you're not getting in the end zone, it doesn't matter. And the thing about this, and the thing about Atlanta is, BJ, what you said, they be in the game. Now, if you look at the end score, you're like, what happened? Well, that's two pick sixes to the same dude in back-to-back series. But for this Atlanta team, if you can get pressure like they did on Brady against the, against the defender champs, and you can stay in the game, it's what is it about when the game matters the most that they just implode, both offensively and defensively? I'm a Matty Ice, you, you, you a vet. You can't be throwing the goals. You can't just be trying to get the ball out. But it ain't, it's once again, you know, I know, I know last week I said they're gonna go 16 and 1, but now they can only go 15 and 2 because they own two. I get it. No, you you it has to be a team effort. And you look at that a team that's that really like they're kind of like mirror images of each other. I mean, ain't like Maddie Ice is the youngest, is the youngest player you ever seen in the league right now. I mean, you were hoping Dante Fowler Jr. Greater Jared, they got to be the version of, of the one-two punch of Shaq Barrett and JPP. You got you got a very, very young secondary. I mean. You know, uh, Atlanta got – I mean, uh, Tampa Bay got some young guys in their defensive backfield. But you got to feel good about how you play, not how you end it. Because that's what you do in a loss. You know, you try to pick you try to pick out the good things and try to work on the bad things. But if you're Atlanta, this schedule is not going to get any easier. Matty Ice, unfortunately for him, what is it, year 13, 14? They're going to go as Matty Ice goes because this is what this is what you should feel bad about the most, BJ, that we didn't talk about. Heard, all, heard a lot about Mike Davis in the preseason, right? Nine for 38. Cordell Patterson, a receiver playing running back, had seven rushes. Regardless, he had seven rushes for a whopping 
you know, 11 yards. He did get a touchdown. But so, so to me, you got guys playing out of position. Now, Cordell Patterson ended up having like five catches, 50 yards and a touchdown. But for this offense, they're going to have to be the end all be all for a defense that shows flashes. But you give up back to back pick sixes, it's going to be hard to win any game in any league, no matter what it is, NFL, college, or what. But it is game two. You're still trying to figure things out. But I bet, I bet you it's Arthur Smith. Play guys in the preseason just for continuity reasons, man, just for to get comfortable with each other because you can't be trying to figure out when the games matter. But you are what the score says you was, and you got the brakes put off you regardless of how it looked. Ain't nobody going to say with five, ten minutes left, you got that thing put on you, and whoever's, whoever's up next on the schedule, they got Atlanta, they licking their chops. They said, if we can get at Matty Ice, not only would he throw the ball to us, we can take it back the other way. Matty Ice out there looking more like Matt Winston than freaking Matt Ryan. It was rough on Sunday. It was rough. Matt Winston, Virginia. I was just wondering what you were. <laughs> oh, and BJ, and for those, I know, I know, we don't really talk about them yet. Would the real Jameis Winston please stand up? Did you see? Did you see him against the Panthers? That's the Jameis I know. Jameis like, hey man, I ain't allowed to throw it to the team with other jersey on. You are, but you shouldn't. You know, so yeah, so Matt. Shout out to Matty Ice though, man. He gonna he gonna get a lot of criticism, man, because it was rough. To, to, to them crazy Atlanta fans out there, you know, hey, they'll go 15-2. They still it's go giving him a nice more. alter ego uh, out there as well, <laughs> Matt Winston. At the end of the day, no, I was just, look, man, I, I, look, I think the Falcons have obviously some issues uh, here early. I know, look, you were competing with the Bucks, and it just totally got away from you. I, I, you got to figure out some things offensively uh, with this team. Obviously, special teams, uh, they're probably going to address uh, after the, the, the couple of punts. Didn't go as expected. I mean, defensively, you, you hate to say it. They haven't played terribly the first couple. They haven't been, I'm not saying they've been awesome, but they haven't been just like the, uh, they haven't been the overall reason you're losing, right? I mean, Ben, look, no, listen. The first week you couldn't score a touchdown. Last you couldn't, week, you couldn't the defense at least either. kept you in the game and you threw two pick sixes and it got and it was over. I'm, I'm just I'm just saying, okay, this is the thing. It's like it's like Atlanta don't even got Grady Jerry. Like they don't got Dante Fowler. They don't got Deion Jones. Come on, man. I know you listen to three and out. It's all love, baby. I'm just saying, I, me and BJ saw uh, Jared Goff shake you in the open field at home. Jared Goff. He don't even spell golf right. I'm just saying, man. It's just like, come on, man. We got to play better than that. But, but Kevin, it's frustrating because Matt Ryan, at the end of the game, I'm like, Matt Ryan threw the pick six. And he, he sort of tried to chase the dude. I'm like, you, I mean, that guy got that guy get to go home. That guy got two game balls. He said, but I called two pick sixes against Matt Ryan. Man, he's gonna have to sign those for that man one day. But but Kevin, when when it blows for Atlanta, can they get back right? And for me, it looks like they're just trying to feature Kyle Pitts on offense. Hope they make something happen, you know, with the defense. And as long as they end it, they play well. But once the pick sixes happen, hey man, I'm just saying Atlanta ain't got a bunch of stars on defense. And and I and they said that uh. AJ Terrell went out with a concussion, so he might be out. Good lord! No, no, I, I think out. I think this is the question now. You're zero two. I think you understand losing to Tampa. Philly at home was what it was. You hate to say this in in September, but is is the upcoming game against the Giants a must win? I mean, how many zero and three teams make the playoffs? Is this a must must win? Yeah, did you, yes. And, 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 and I'm going to say that it's because it's against the Giants, too. Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, you know, Sterling Shepard, they, they need to get that. They need to get a dub in the, in the – because, BJ, 
You know how you feel about Daniel Jones. You don't feel like him, how Kevin feels about Josh Allen. Daniel Jones is – right now he's not playing good. I'm just saying they probably should have won on, on, uh, on Monday night that, that came out to the kicker. But but if they lose to the Giants, this ain't your Eli manager. This, it ain't Asayuma Yura and Justin Tuck over there. If you lose to the Giants, BJ, it's already panic because you're on too. You lose to the Giants. All the Smith, you know, your key might not work. I'm just saying it, it, it's, it's – you lose to the Giants, man. That's going to be – come on, man. You got to beat the Giants. Saquon Barkley, he just he, – even he don't want to be a Giant, but he's still on the contract. He's trying to get up out of there at this point. <laughs> We've got more to come. We'll come back. We'll look at the Jags uh, in week number two there as well. It's three and out of the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. That's at least acceptable for an NFL uh, situation. But – Couple of picks. What you expect? Are you seeing progression from Trevor Lawrence in that pass game week one to week two? Uh, I think you have to keep in mind not only is he a rookie, but this offensive line is 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 struggling. Uh, Andrew Norwell had some had some really bad uh, moments in that game on Sunday. Now, are you taking steps forward? Well, you, you had a kick return for a touchdown. I don't remember seeing many of those. Uh, watching the Jaguars, that was great from Jamal Agnew. But look, Trevor's gonna gonna struggle. There are gonna be uh, points of transition that are difficult. What I don't get, Ben, and I need you to explain to me, why do they continue to throw the football almost every down? You had over fifty attempts in Week One. This game wasn't quite as up and down as the first game. Trevor still threw it thirty-three times, and James Robinson had eleven carries. You can make an argument James Robinson is the best player on the team. He had five rushes in week one and 11 rushes in week two. Why are they not giving the football to James Robinson to help Trevor Lawrence out? Because, B.J., sometimes these coaches get too caught up in trying to justify these players because the game is all about, you know, being headlined, being headlined by these quarterbacks. So sometimes you're trying to validate these guys. There is no reason why Trevor Lawrence should be throwing the football 33 times and only completing 14 for 118 yards and touchdown and two picks. That means that you're putting it all on him. And sometimes, that's what I used to say about him at Clemson. These national narratives be planted to the minds. And I always remember, BJ, he's a rookie. Guess who else is a rookie? Urban Meyer. So you got two guys who are trying to figure out the game together, both guys who only who only know success and their previous their previous schools, you know. So I just think that trying to do too much in football leads to, lo- leads to losing. But old Teddy Bridgewater, 26-34, 328 yards, two touchdowns. Oh, Corlin Sutton had his way. But, hey, Kevin, at the end of the day, you know, it's about making sure, you know, uh, those guys get back to their winning ways. It just hasn't happened yet. Yeah, again, I think uh, Jacksonville is going to be interesting to see how they progress uh, as they go throughout the regular season. Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence, they continue to grow. You have 120 yards passing four or five weeks from now in the game. It's not going to be good. We come back, final hour, three and out, Southern Pixie Radio Network. Penn State uh, up there in Happy Valley and a wild football game for those two teams uh, there as well. So we'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. But every Monday on the show during football season, we got the uh, the good, the bad, and just the flat-out ugly. Let's start, though, with the good. It's always good to uh, to start off on a positive note, BJ Ben. So we'll we'll go with what was the good from the college football or the NFL weekend. For me, it was the showcase games in college football. Uh, you know, when you think about when you think about Alabama and Florida, when you think about Oklahoma, Nebraska, when you think about Auburn, Penn State, even if you want to throw Virginia Tech, West Virginia in there, Arizona State, BYU, the games that featured national names were really, really compelling. I mean, Alabama, Florida, I, 
especially when Florida started making the run in the second quarter. That was one of the most enjoyable stretches of football I can remember watching. Just big-time players, great atmosphere. Same for Auburn and Penn State. Uh, it was it was great to see college football kind of at that level. And then Oklahoma and Nebraska, I mean, we were talking about Nebraska and kind of what happened to the program, not only the last few years, but, but overall. And much listen, much like Florida, you're not talking about – moral victories at Nebraska. I think we all agree with that, but you can still appreciate a, a program taking a step forward. So for me, uh, the good, the college front was the national showcase games lived up to the hype. And then in the pros, that game last night with Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes was absolutely spectacular. The good, the good. The, I mean, the good for me is week three is the parody. Every every single week, we we be coming back here talking about who who we thought was going to win, and they end up losing the game. And the teams that we, it's like the benefit of the doubt is up here, and the, these bottom feeders down here. Well, it's kind of going like this. There, there really aren't that many bottom feeders as much as we give it credit for these days. I just like the parody in college football. I mean, I, I always go back to if you are the, the top teams in the country, you usually got the top coaches, the top players, top recruiting classes. Well. And, and it's everybody else. Well, these everybody else have caught up to these big-time uh, you know, programs and finding a way, you know, to keep pace with these guys. So, yeah, BJ, I do like the big-time games, but I love the parody. I love the balance. I love the fact that the reason why we watch college football is one for the teams we like, two for the teams we dislike, but three because of just how balanced it is. It, it's not how it – how it's becoming every single day. I mean, every single week we realize just how balanced college football is. So, Kevin, for me, give me the balance and give me the parity, college football. Yeah, there's the, I think the, uh, the the Auburn Penn State was so good. Uh, it was uh, the, the big matchups, as you said, BJ, really lived up to the hype with 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 Alabama, Florida, Penn State, Auburn uh, as well. What about uh, the bad? I think it's Florida State and Miami, and I hesitate to even put Miami in Florida State's category because. They've played a really difficult schedule, and they've won a game. But, you know, not even going back to the early 90s, going back to when I was in high school and college, Florida State and Miami were two of the leading programs in college football. Now, they're still iconic all-time powers, but I just remember the, you know, the excitement of, of you know, whoever Miami was playing, Florida State, you knew it was going to be a great game, NFL players all over the place. And right now, both programs just look out of it, man. I mean, Florida State, Mackenzie Milton had four turnovers. They got beat by 21 by Wake Forest. And watching the end of that game, Wake Forest kind of slowed it down a little bit. They probably could have scored another touchdown easy on Florida State. Miami got blown out by Michigan State at home. Uh, you're talking about a 24-point loss at home. I mean, how often does that happen to the University of Miami, regardless of who you're playing? And, and we've talked about this. I, there are certain programs that are better or that, that college football is better when they're good. And I think Miami is certainly one of those. I think Florida State is one of those too. And to see them really struggling right now, I think is is, is bad for those schools, but also bad for college football. For me, it's two teams. One, it's freaking Pitt. Pitt, what in the world? I mean, Pitt lost to Michigan. Not Michigan Wolverines, not even Central Michigan with the high-powered uh, Jim McElroy offense. They lost to Western Michigan. That was 44th. That was in a freaking – they was in a freaking – uh. Good old, good. I mean, I mean, good old fashioned slug fest. They end up losing forty four to forty one. Come on, Pitt, you can't come off of beating Tennessee, trying to keep pace in this ACC, and then lose to a team like Western Michigan. Take that away from Western Michigan. Shout out to them, but I'm just saying they should have lost. And to me, the bad Jacksonville State. The thing about Jacksonville State is we talking about Jacksonville State. I mean, I mean, not J Jackson State. I'm sorry, Jackson State more. BJ and Kevin, they we ever did. That's because of Dion, right? Dion is 
It's like we took the reputation of that program and HBCU was elevated. They lost Louisiana Monroe. Louisiana Monroe I didn't win a game last year. And, and and BJ, Dion did something in the press conference. He was like, oh, so y'all just paying us money to lose? I'm like, well, it's not like y'all getting money from a powerhouse. Y'all finna play Louisiana Monroe. They scored a whopping seven points. So for me, it's, it's Jackson State because they're trying to up, you know, the reputation of not just Jackson State, but in the swag and in the, in the MEAC and those things, but just the HBCU circuit. And freaking Pitt, come on, man. You can't lose to Western Michigan. We weren't even supposed to know y'all was playing Western Michigan until, you know, ESPN bottom line show 44-41. wants to give me Pitt and give me I do love Jackson State. I would say the uh, the bad for me was the Pac-12. A, a lot of love for the Pac-12. And all Pac-12 is back after Oregon beats Ohio State, the conference looks pretty good. UCLA is looking good. USC changes coaches. Uh, the Trojans get a big win, and you look at it this week. Number 24, UCLA, beaten at home by Fresno State. BYU beats Arizona State. Northern Arizona beats Arizona. That shouldn't happen. Colorado, who played close with Texas A&M a few weeks ago, they lose. Uh, I think the conference, to me, uh, is still kind of struggling to find its footing. Now, is Oregon pretty good? Maybe, but... Uh, you had a couple of head scratchers here uh, this week in the Pac-12 where uh, after the first two weeks, everybody's saying, oh, Pac-12 making a little bit of resurgence here. Ah, well, let's hold on just a second. So that was some of the uh, – that was a bad for me here, week three of college football. And now just the downright ugly. Well, you stole mine, man. Mm-hmm. I have the Pac-12 in that section. Uh, you know, good breakdown there. It's it's it, it's especially frustrating if you follow the Pac-12 because, like you said, Kevin, the storylines at the beginning of the season, right, where, oh, wow, this is the year. This is the year, and maybe we still see a Pac-12 team make it into the college football playoff, but – you go back to the beginning of the season and you and, and you saw, or just earlier in the season, and you saw uh, Oregon go to Ohio State and win. You saw UCLA host LSU and win. You saw some good performances out of, you know, Arizona State and others. And Colorado playing Texas A&M down to the absolute wire. And you're starting to think, man, the perception of the league is changing. This is going to be a really good year. And then in one Saturday, like you said, Fresno State beat 13th-ranked UCLA. I know UCLA beat LSU, but if you're going to be in the top 15, and I respect Fresno State's program, but if you're going to be in the top 15, you cannot lose to Fresno State. Uh, Really good game over the weekend with Arizona State and BYU. That's another top 20 team that lost. Great game, but Arizona State ranked 19th? Nope, they lost. They're going to be out of the polls. Minnesota shut out Colorado. Not not beat Colorado. They shut them out 30 to nothing. They didn't score. Utah, who's been one of the better teams in the Pac-12, they lose to San Diego State. And I know we've seen multiple FCS over FBS wins this season, but Arizona goes down to Northern Arizona, and I believe that is now two FCS losses for the Pac-12 as Washington lost to Montana. So the league had made some progress, taken steps forward. Nope. And now the talking points are back up. Well, the Pac-12 is not very good. Oregon's going to cruise through there. We'll have to see. But the ugly for me, the Pac-12. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm sticking, with, I'm sticking with my twos. I'm, do, I'm doing the twos. My, I, I got two things that's ugly. I mean, the first for me, BJ, is what you said for the bad. It's Miami and Florida State. I mean, you, look, you're a part of the big three. Florida State hasn't won a game. That's unacceptable. Miami, I really don't know what's going on right now. De'Ara King and that experiment just ain't working. Ed Reed, I mean, I saw Ed Reed first game walking up, you know, I mean, walking into Mercedes Benz showing off. He won't even get on Instagram no more. 
I ain't seen it. I ain't seen a post since. But you guys got to be better because it's boys again. Just like I talk about the ACC doing it for more than just the ACC, you are part of the big three. College football is better when Florida, when Florida State and Miami are playing well. And right now, they're both below 500, and people are melting down on the Twitter sphere. But, but my, 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 my number two, it's the freaking refs. Are we still talking about the refs again? I mean, the refs took it down for Penn State, so they can't, you know, you know, they, they took one from them. I mean, and then, and then, you know, Memphis, you know, our Memphis player, you know, uh, I mean, he scooped up a punt that everybody thought was down. And scored a touchdown. And then Kevin, you get the old, hey man, we apologize. Uh dear to whom it may concern. To whom it may concern. I mean, I ain't with that none. And BJ, I know you always talking about the quote human factor. No bump all that. They get paid to call the game and they're blowing it. You took a freaking you took a down from us. Took it. And it's deciding game. So for me, it's the, listen, it's those zebras out there, it's those striped shirts. They got to do a better job than that. I mean, you can't be decided game. If you're not going to help people win, don't be the reason why people are losing. That's what the players and the coaches are for, not y'all. So the refs, Florida State, Miami, come on, man. Y'all got to do better than that. Yeah, my ugly is Florida State. I mean, you got you got beat by Wake Forest, and not, not did you just get beat. You got run off the field, 35-14, to 0-3 for the first time since the 70s. Uh, this is uh, – just something that doesn't happen. You would say, oh, well, maybe they should have beaten uh, Jacksonville State. I mean, yeah, they probably should have, uh, and they wouldn't be 0-3. But 0-3 for the first time since Bobby Bowden, uh, what first took over the program uh, at Florida State. That is unacceptable. Uh, for the level that he brought it to, you are sliding back in a big way. Wake Forest, 484 total yards against Florida State. What? And I'm not hating on Wake Forest. They're a solid team. They're 3-0. and But 484 yards. They got 150 more yards than Florida State did. Two out past Florida State. 259 to, uh, to 226. And I know Florida State's not necessarily known for having uh, just running backs, running backs. I think it was a while before they had a 1,000-yard rusher. But you had 91 yards rushing against Wake Forest. Wake Forest put up 225 on the ground. You got annihilated. That's not Florida State football where you're getting shoved around at the line of scrimmage on both sides. Uh, just unbelievable. That is the totally ugly. And Wake Forest had 27 first downs. I mean, that that's ball control. That's domination. That's completely ugly. Uh, and that's uh, there's no way to sugarcoat it right now. And it's probably not going to get any easier uh, for them, BJ and Ben, as they uh, they go forward and work here in the ACC and still have some some quality teams left. But I think they have Louisville uh, is it this week or in the next coming week. So uh, Louisville team that just got a big win over UCF. Uh, could we see a Florida State team sitting there potentially 0-5, 0-6 uh, by the time we get to the middle of the season? It's not outside the realm of possibility. That is the good, the bad. And certainly the ugly, we do it each and every Monday here on the show. We'll come back, take a look at the SEC and the week that was across the Southeastern Conference when we return here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Or excuse me, Alabama, Florida, uh, highlighting the in-conference play. Uh, did we learn more about Alabama or Florida in that one? Because, again, did Alabama, people like the, as Ben said the first hour, like to throw cold water on Alabama. It's like, oh, yep, here it is. It's like they won against a top 15 team on the road in the swamp. That's a hostile place to play. Did it almost get away from him? Yes. But at the end of the day, Nick Saban looks up and says, huh, we got more points than they do. We still won. I mean, uh, what did you, you gather from that game uh, after watching Alabama and Florida go at it? And then obviously Florida with a chance to tie it with that uh, that two-point conversion. 
Yeah, I, I, I think I disagree with two of the main takeaways it feels like that I've read from a lot of people. First and foremost, I saw just 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 countless fans and media people saying, listen, uh, Alabama, not impressive. Alabama, and Kevin, to your point, Ben, like we've talked about, this is a young football team. This is a team that lost, what, seven of the top 40 picks in the NFL draft. I think six All-Americans or something crazy on offense alone. Young football team. You go into the swamp and face the number 11 team in the country, and you win, and there's criticism? There's concern? Since when is winning on the road over a top 11 team unimpressive? Like, that, I, I don't see that. And, and here's the reality about Alabama. Every single team in football, whether it's Alabama, whether it's Georgia, whether it's Clemson, is going to have at least one game where you just don't play well for stretches. And Alabama clearly was not at its best over the last three quarters. Here's how good Alabama is. They had 75% of their game where they were just not right, and they still beat the number 11 team in the country on the road. That's that's that, that's commendable. So I disagree with people who are saying Alabama showed some vulnerability. Alabama did not play at their best and beat one of the best teams in the country in one of the most hostile environments in the country. I also disagree with people who say Florida should not accept moral victories. And the reason I disagree with that is because no one's talking about moral victories. You're talking about the fact that you played a modern-day dynasty within one play. That does not mean you're going back and you're you know, celebrating in the locker room or you're going up to some board where you have moral victories written in chalk and you're writing down Alabama. No, you can appreciate a good effort. You can appreciate stretches of great play. And for stretches of that game, Florida looked like absolutely one of the best teams in the country. And Alabama in their 17-game winning streak has beaten every single team they've played by more than 10 points except one. And that's Florida twice. And the Gators and Dan Mullen deserve credit for that. This does not mean that Florida's going to go undefeated the rest of the way. But you can take on Alabama, who's the ultimate barometer in college football, and appreciate when progress is made, where progress is made. And I'll say this, too, for people who are coming up with polls and putting rankings out there. All that Florida losing to Alabama means is that Florida's not quite as good as Alabama. Well, who is? Who would have done a better job than a two-point performance on Saturday? Ohio State? They were in a tight game with Toledo in the fourth quarter. Clemson? They have the worst offense in the ACC. Georgia? Maybe. We'll see. Uh, I, I I think Florida earned some praise on Saturday, even in a losing effort. And we've got to get past ranking all the undefeated teams, ranking all the one-loss teams, ranking all the two-loss teams. Florida's one of the best teams in the country. And even though you lost, you can still take away positives from that. Yeah, and that's what you want to do, too. Every week you want to to do two things. You want to to be 1-0 and and you want to get better. Florida got better. Florida showed that they're not a front-running team. Florida showed that even with Big Bad Alabama being down twenty-one to three, they don't have a they don't have a just quit attitude. They have a, all right, let's let's buckle down, let's show what we're capable of doing. Emory Jones grew up. I mean, he grew up this weekend. Everybody kept saying, "Hey, I mean, are you going to be able to show that you can go out there and put together a solid game plan from the opening from the opening goal and not worry about Anthony Richardson?" Anthony Richardson didn't, didn't get on the field. Florida has a run game. Florida has a defense. And, and big-time programs, that's what they use. They use to run the football, play really, really good defense. Now, Bryce Young, I mean, the young man is – listen, I mean, he's very, very savvy. I mean, he went out there and took his lumps, still had three touchdown passes. The running backs, the running backs at, uh, 
Alabama are scary now because those guys aren't just doing it, you know, uh, running between the tackles. They catch the ball out of the backfield and shout out to Alabama. But I do think that we do get caught up in how Alabama wins, not that they win. And I think and that's when college football has changed. When we used to Alabama just blowing everybody out, blowing everybody out. Well, if you are Dan Mullen, you got a $1.5 million extension in the offseason, and Alabama coming to town, no matter what he says, he was looking at game three. And dare I say that was that was one of the best performances you're gonna see. Everybody, yeah, you're gonna nitpick and say Emory Jones probably threw a pick he shouldn't have. You're gonna talk about the DBs getting some uh tic tac uh, you know, uh pass interference calls, but they was being aggressive. And you're gonna talk about the two-bar conversion that was not. But guess what? You lost by two to Alabama. Most teams, no, 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 I'm not even gonna use Alabama. Most teams down 21 to 3, that's it. You spend the whole game trying to get back in it, but shout out to Florida. And, and look, it was a lot of great performances this weekend. I do think too, Kevin, if we get to you know Penn State. And uh, Auburn, listen, I give a lot of credit to Penn State because Penn State understands that Auburn was a team that's good enough to beat you when you look at the offense they was bringing in. Tank Bigsby still looked apart, but they got out to Bo Nix. They forced Bo Nix to beat him through the air, and he couldn't do it. I mean, uh, you know, Happy Valley, hostile environment. Yes, they were getting downs and stuff taken away from them, but, they, but they, you, were some, you had some really, really good games throughout the entire conference. I mean, Georgia is Georgia. You know, that, that defense is about as good as advertised. As good as we thought, B.J., though, Mr. Will – you know, Will Levis was. I mean, they was in a they was in a dog fight against Chattanooga. So it's the SEC. You know, it's it's a different. There's a chapter three lived up to the billing big time games all throughout the conference. Old rivalries. You know, Alabama coming to Florida end up being really really good. But I I just give a lot of credit to I give a lot of credit to the SEC for understanding that they're under that microscope with 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 Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC. Everybody still watching. See, is the SEC the still big bad conference outside of Alabama? And for one weekend, Florida proved, hey, man, we we are, we are a team to be reckoned with, even though it is one game. Hopefully it won't be a letdown game, you know, week four. But, yeah, some big-time games throughout the entire conference, uh, both in conference and out of conference. I think the SEC, uh, you know, showed a lot of heart this weekend. Well, I think that's the key when you look at a team like Florida is can they play at that level every week? Because I think people talked about that with Georgia and Clemson, right? Uh, Georgia beats Clemson week one. It was like, oh, that was impressive. Can they play at that level every week? And for the most part, they have the two weeks uh, after that. Can Florida play at that level uh, every single week, BJ, and and be a contender with Georgia? I mean, we'll, they'll play, what, Tennessee this week. We'll see what happens uh, there. They've had their way with the Vols uh, pretty regular over the last decade and a half, but uh, you know, can they play up at that level consistently? Uh, I think we saw it Saturday. Do we see it again maybe next Saturday, the Saturday after that, and uh, can consistently from Florida throughout the remainder of the year? Well, I think it would make sense to have a little bit of an emotional letdown next week. I think we see that in college football where you have the monumental triumphant effort that comes up a little bit short, and then it takes you a little while to get going next week. That wouldn't stun me. Uh, but but I'll say this. I mean, Kevin, I'm not saying this to you. I'm saying this, you know, to people who who have asked all all off season, all preseason, can Florida play with Georgia? Why would that surprise us? I mean, what? Why are we asking that question? I mean, I get that Georgia has a great team. Georgia looked great Saturday night. Looked really good. Great to see Nolan Smith and those guys making plays. JT Daniels over 300 yards. You rush for almost 200 yards. Georgia's been unstoppable. Georgia clearly has been the number two team in the country behind Alabama. But I think you look at Florida and you know what you're going to get in Jacksonville. I mean, can Georgia play with – can Florida play with Georgia? Well, the last time they played, Florida won. Like, like, what kind of question is that? I don't – so, yes, I think if you're a Georgia fan, you're watching that game and you're thinking, oh, boy, late October, that's going to be tough when we play the Gators down in Jackson. You should know that already. Like, that's not a surprise. 
Florida Georgia is going to be a tight game. That's going to be a really difficult contest for Georgia. Now, Kevin, can they can they bring that effort that we saw over the past three quarters uh, in that game every single week? I think that's going to be tough. I think I think that's going to be tough. But do I think Florida is a very good team? Absolutely. Florida, Florida understand they're gonna to have to prove it week in and week out. And look, as far as like the Alabama test, outside of outside of winning the game, did you pass the eye test? Yes. Did you pass the never quit test? Yes. Did you prove that you were a team that you're working with? Yes. But now you got to do it. It's like okay, like you said, Kevin. Okay, you played up here. Can you stay up here regardless of the competition? But it's the SEC. You're gonna get that every single week. I mean, you don't think the Texas A&M is hearing this, the LSU is hearing this, and Ole Miss is hearing this, and Auburn is hearing this. If you have to play Alabama every year in your conference, you play. Ain't nobody feeling bad for Florida. At least they got to deal with them every what two or three years. We got to deal with them every freaking year. But they are the barometer. They are the gold standard. No matter what happens, I mean, you know, in order to beat and what the old adage of in order to be the man, you, I mean. You got to beat them. Well, Florida didn't beat them. And if they see and meet each other again in Alabama, it will be because they have run the gauntlet and beat Georgia, which is, which is another thing they, they don't want to look too far down the road with. But the SEC understands that it's going to be big-time competition every single week. I know Alabama is the top tier, but Georgia's, you know, the Auburns, the LSUs, the Texas A&M's, the Ole Miss, they ain't no slouches either. So it's going to be some there's going to be some upsets brewing because, like I said, Georgia handled their business this weekend. This is the same Georgia team two years ago that lost to South Carolina at home with a quarter with a receiver uh, at quarterback. So we don't know how it's going to go. But for one weekend, the big dogs they showed up. Look, and again, you move over to that Auburn Penn State game. That was a where are you at really uh, game for Auburn, right? Uh, BJ Bennett, you look at Brian Harson coming in. He did a, a great job with the coordinator hires, Mike Bobo, Derek Mason, former head coaches coming in to run the offense and the defense. You go to a hostile place to play, and Penn State was fired up, uh, no doubt, on Saturday night. You get beat, but did you learn anything about, uh, about Auburn in there? I know that was a prove-it game for Penn State. To me, Auburn, I think that was kind of a testing grounds for how much work do you have to do to to step up and, and, and contend with the likes of the A&Ms and the Alabamas here who are sitting there likewise in that, that, that top 15 range. Yeah, I don't think there's any setbacks from that loss. You know, when you bring in a new coaching staff, even with two great coordinator hires, it's going to take some time for the implementation to be kind of fully complete and for everybody to be on the same page. And I know after the two big wins to start the season, we all started looking around going, oh my gosh, you know, is Auburn going to going to make a run at the SEC championship? I think that's still a team that if you look across the field, even if you're Alabama, you're concerned. Auburn's good. There's no, you know, there's no moral victories at Auburn, of course, but to go to Penn State and play a one-score game where you had a chance at the end, I think that's a commendable effort. I do. And Auburn still is a young football team in the secondary, along the offensive line. We know what they can do running the football. It's great to see Tank Bigsby go over 100 yards, but I don't think this derails anything for Auburn. I think that I think they're still a threat in the SEC West. I think they still have everybody's attention. And to lose to a top 10, top 12 type team on the road at night with a team that is in its third game under a new coaching staff, you can absolutely still move forward from that. Yeah, Auburn showed a lot of heart, too. I mean, a hostile environment like Penn State is not going to be easy for anybody to do. But let's face it. I mean, Auburn ain't played Penn State since when? I mean, I, I can't remember last time those two teams played each other. But give up. No, give Bo Nix a lot of credit. I don't think nobody's been coming to this season that had more scrutiny, uh, you know, on them or more criticism on them than Bo Nix. I mean, you talk about, uh, you know, Kevin bringing two former head coaches to, uh, to be your offensive defensive coordinators. They lost by eight points. They lost by eight points to a team in Penn State that always looking up, like, their Alabama is Ohio State. 
Michigan, Michigan State, every single year to try to make sure that this might be the year that they come out of, you know, the Big Ten as a Big Ten champion with, what, what, with, uh, with Ohio State not playing at their best. But give Auburn a lot of credit because the thing is, look, you know what's coming. And sometimes, as long as you still got everything on the table, which they still do, Auburn can be a very, very dangerous team because Bo Nix ain't throwing the ball to the other team. Tank Bigsby in that run game was looking really, really good. They just lost to a better team. If you, if you lose to a team that is better than you or equally matches you, nobody's going nobody's gonna to feel bad going to eye about it. And with that environment and that buildup and, and those night games, Auburn came up eight points short. But that don't mean they ain't good enough to beat anybody on the field with. Auburn's going to be a dangerous team, I think, moving forward. We'll come back. We'll take a look at more SEC Georgia with a big win. They keep right uh, right on trucking along. We'll get to that when we return. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hey, there were some guys getting behind receivers and what. I mean, they bottled up South Carolina for the most part uh, all day long. And that's a, a third straight week where Georgia has come out and looked really, really good uh, playing consistent week to week. Yeah, they're, they're a team that looks like a national championship team. I mean, you're going to have to do it week to week. You're going to have to earn it every single week. That standard's unrelenting. Ask Alabama. Uh, uh, ask Clemson. But Georgia has answered every question. I know some relative concerns maybe about running the football and can you consistently do that. Well, you had almost 200 yards rushing on Saturday night against a really good defensive front. So, to me, Georgia checks every box. They look the part. It's early. It's still September, and that game against Arkansas now looks a little bit more concerning. Florida's going to be Florida. Auburn's going to be Auburn. If you get to the SEC championship game, I think we got a pretty good feel for who's going to be there and what you're going to have to do in that game. But has Georgia looked the part? Uh, absolutely. I know had a uh, question at Pigskin Radio from Brett Baxter, Ben, asking any concerns about kind of getting beat over the top a few times uh, in that in that secondary against South Carolina. No, it just means that you're human. I mean, uh, South Carolina got good players, too. I mean, I understand now it's all about how many five-stars or top 300 players you can get on your team. But South Carolina, they play some good football. I mean, they, <clears throat> they put out some good players over the years. And if you're at South Carolina, you get sick of hearing about Big Bad Georgia. You get sick of thinking, that, oh, man, are these, are these DBs, like, unbeatable? Is there no way you can beat man-to-man coverage? There's no man you can beat, no way you can beat, you know, inside-out coverage? Uh, two saves over top, cover one, cover three, cover two, cloud. Yes, you can. It's about going out there running routes. Uh, you giving the, you giving a, you giving the uh, quarterback something to throw to, quarterback giving you a ball to catch, and then you go out there and make it happen. God forbid, you know, Kendrick and those guys give up anything. Oh my God, the sky's falling. Georgia can't play defense. No, it's going to be fine. And when the individual matchups, it's, it's, uh, that's football one-on-one. Georgia is realizing how hard it is to be this good, this consistent. Because if you are Alabama, right, Alabama has to out-Alabama themselves. Their barometer each week is themselves. How, how do we look week three a year ago, two years ago? How do we play this team the last time we played them? So if we're going to judge Alabama on winning a game, Georgia has to understand you're going to get more scrutiny even coming out of wins. Because if you dominate, that's what you're supposed to do. If you start looking anywhere kind of human or pedestrian, what's going on with Georgia? But, yeah, they look really, really good. On Saturday night, I mean, playing night games in college is is harder because you got to watch everybody else play throughout the course of the day, and then you got to get up for this game. But BJ, I know you talked about Anola Smith and those guys on defense. I mean, they putting up, they doing, they doing some historic things, and it's hard to maintain that because no matter what, if you are the Georgians, if you are the Alabamas, if you are the you know uh, the Oklahomas and Ohio States of the world, you have to finish the deal. It's almost like saying who won the Super Bowl. You can always tell me who won. It's kind of hard to tell me who they beat. 
because nobody remembers who got beat. They remember who won. So for Georgia, for, for week three, chapter three, it looked really, really good. Very, very dominant. They got to keep it up because what they've done up to this point, it goes out the window week four, week five, week six. But they're going to get another team's best ever. So, yeah, if Georgia DBs did get up some plays over the top, it just means that they got to work on their technique. It just means they are human. And it means that the guys on the other side of the ball, they pretty good, they're pretty good at playing football as well. Yeah, yeah, Kevin, I want to provide some context to that because, you know, we we did see a couple of big plays downfield from South Carolina, but I went through the box score. Georgia gave up five passes of 10 yards or more. So that's not that many when you think about the duration of a four-quarter game. And also keep keep this in mind. This was the first time this season we've seen Luke Doty. So for people who maybe look at South Carolina and they couldn't move the football very well against East Carolina and they didn't have many big plays against Eastern Illinois, well, you had your backup quarterback there with Zeb Nolan in those games, and you saw a good bit of, of Luke Doty for the first time this season, South Carolina's starter. And of those five pass plays of 10 yards or more you gave up, Three of them were once the game was already over. The game was already over. The outcome was decided. And I'm not I'm not saying that's okay, but I would keep that in mind when you say, oh, Georgia gave up. Well, well, some of that was against soft coverage when you already had a 28, 35 point, whatever it was, lead late. Uh, and, and, and look, Josh Van can play. I know a lot of people around the country learned about Josh Van, the South Carolina receiver, for the first time. This isn't anything new. Uh, even without Luke Doty, you go back to the East Carolina game, he had 117 yards on five catches against ECU. So he is downfield. He is getting it done. But still a young secondary for Georgia, a good chunk of that production coming late in the game. Uh, no concerns with the secondary for me. Yeah, it, it just it – just, listen, high praise comes with high scrutiny, right? When you are a team as good as Georgia, people are looking for, you know, uh, kinks in your armor. They ain't trying to talk about what you do well. Any little thing you do – that's what they want to. That's what they want to pinpoint on. Even with the whole situation, putting in stats and been look, they, they won the game. Now, now we come. Not that we win. How do we look doing it? Do we ain't look good enough. We ain't look that dominant. Why? Because we only we didn't give up a touchdown pass. I mean, we didn't give a touchdown to Clemson. What, what Georgia Tech defense just showed you that Clemson might they just might not be good on offense this year. That that's not taking nothing away from Georgia, but. This Georgia team understands that it's a week-in, week-out process. Keep the priorities, priorities. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Don't look too far down the road because you know, just like I know, Kevin and BJ, if if Georgia loses and it ain't in the SEC championship game to Alabama, the sky is falling. Kirby Smart is the worst. Fire everybody. Get rid of all the coordinators. But for, but for three weeks in, they still look like uh, one of the most dominant teams in college football. And, they, and dare I say, if they can get that run game going to go along with that high-powered offense and passing game, if they're going to be even scarier. Yeah, I think uh, Georgia obviously right now looks uh, like they are on a destination for late into the season, having a lot to play for there on their plate. Although, a game coming up in a couple of weeks looks really, really interesting now that maybe didn't in the first couple of weeks of the season. That is Arkansas two weeks. Arkansas and Georgia Southern this past weekend, and the Razorbacks kind of made quick work of the Eagles there uh, in in Fayetteville. Could have a showdown in a couple weeks between the Razorbacks and the Dogs. Well, yeah, and K.J. Jefferson looked great throwing the football. I think had close to 400 yards passing and uh, some big plays from Traylon Burks and others. But Arkansas is a good team. We saw them exceed expectations in year one under Sam Pittman. They're, they're, they're physical. Defensively, they got a couple of the best linebackers in the country, Grant Morgan, Bumper Pool, Jalen Catalan is a do-it-all safety. Uh, kind of reminds me of Tyran Matthew a little bit. I know that's extremely high praise, but just in that he's everywhere all over the field. That's going to be a tough game. And listen, you're in the SEC. I mean, Kevin, you've said this for years. 
you can't say at the same time the SEC is the toughest conference in college football and there's nothing like it and there are no off weeks and every game is brutal and we shouldn't have to play big time out of conference games because the SEC is incredible. But then look at your schedule and go 20 point win, 20 point win, 20 point win, 20 point. No, you're going to have to earn it. And I think Georgia knows that and is excited about that. I mean, to have a, you know, potentially a top 20 Arkansas team on the schedule, I think that's exciting. I think the dogs will be ready. Sam Pittman saying, look, I already had to play y'all first game of the year starting off the all-SEC schedule, BJ. Just saying, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but would it, wouldn't it be fitting? Sam Pittman, Georgia, Arkansas win, hey, man. I think I think the college football guys will love that, but they're going to have to come together, and they're going to have to really have their you know, competitive juices go up and no. I, I give Arkansas a lot of credit. When Ar- Arkansas, once again, is a team that's always trying to get to that vaunted six wins, that is the hardest thing to do with college football, people. It's not beating Alabama. It's not beating Georgia. It's getting the six wins consistently. But, yeah, that Arkansas game has definitely become a lot more intriguing with the Arkansas bunch, BJ, that not arguably they got the best – they got the best uh, – they got the best uh, receiver in the in, – you know, in the coverage. They might – and they might have the best safety in the coverage as well. Going to end up being a really, really good game. Should, should be very, very intriguing. Anything else stand out for you? I know the uh, outside of those three games we kind of talked about there with Alabama and, uh, and Georgia, Florida, Auburn, uh, a lot of, yep, you should win this kind of game, uh, football games for the SEC this past weekend. Uh, for me, it's Matt Corral. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if folks saw this because it was a kind of a blowout win over Tulane, and that's a better win than people think. Again, Tulane was right there with Oklahoma in Week One, easily could have won that game, and Ole Miss had like fifty points midway through the third quarter. Did you see that Matt Corral had had three passing touchdowns? He also had four rushing touchdowns. Matt Corral scored seven times in that game against Tulane, and. I know, you know, you think about Matt Corral's being kind of the fantasy football guy, the huge numbers. I mean, four rushing touchdowns? I mean, Ben, I know you played with uh, Jesse Palmer. Didn't he have four rushing touchdowns against Kentucky one game? But Matt Corral, I think Bryce Young is still right there when you think about the Heisman. But Matt Corral is right there. My man scored seven touchdowns on Saturday. Hey, BJ, dare I say second year in that lane, keeping offense, building confidence. And 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 if and if Florida team, if Florida was a team that played Alabama the best last year, Ole Miss was right there. I mean, it was a back and forth with them last year. Yeah, Ole Miss is gonna be a dangerous team because I know they got Jerry on any of those guys, and you got Matt Corral who can score with the best of them. I mean, my goodness, I mean, save some touchdowns for the next week, but if seven touchdowns before I'm on the ground, that's always gonna be impressive. Now Matt Corral, he's getting to the RPO game. Uh-huh. So now you got to deal with his legs, too. But, yeah, shout-out to them old Miss boys who, once again, they can go out there and score with the best of them. And I think Matt Corral, he's not arguing with I like Bryce Young. But would Bryce Young be as good as he is if he was at Ole Miss? We don't know. Would Matt Corral be as good as he is if he was at Alabama? Absolutely. So, for me, Matt Corral, I mean, I mean, he ain't far in the head. But, he, to me, he's my number one uh, quarterback in the SEC right now. Shout-out to them old Miss Rebels and Hottie Tidies or whatever they call it up there. <laughs> Yeah, big weekend there in the SEC. And again, uh, we got Florida and Tennessee coming up this week. Some big games still in the conference, obviously, on the docket coming up on Saturday. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Didn't go particularly well. Uh, got one of three. Uh, still a two-game lead. Now you're playing literally the worst team in Major League Baseball here. Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks have won 47 games, and they've lost over 100 already. So you got to have a good week here against Arizona. Then you get San, San Diego this weekend. People forget uh, because of how it's uh, been this year. You have that 
game you have to finish that started in Atlanta that's already in the fifth inning. So potentially on Friday when they're going to make that up, you could have a uh, a two-game in the win column swing potentially. I know you're losing that one, but you could come back and uh, and win that one um, with, a, with a couple innings to play. But, uh, again, you need a big week here to try to, to keep the Phillies off of you. Yeah, and it was a one-game lead, uh, yes, or, or you know, before yesterday's final. So, got to figure out a way to win these games. And listen, Arizona's terrible; they have nothing to play for. Yeah, this needs to be a sweep. You're one of the better teams in the National League. You need to sweep this team. I know it's out west, up late. You got to win and, and and keep Philly at arm's length here. Uh, this is a series. Atlanta's not been great over the last couple of weeks. Where you need to get right. Interesting note, guys. Tonight, tonight, uh, Jorge Soler batting leadoff for the Braves tonight in the lineup. Need the Braves to not play down the lesser competition, Kevin. It's something we talk about with these Braves teams all the time. When it comes to great competition, they play up. When it comes to subpar to bad competition, they play down. We need them to play up as if the, uh, as if Arizona is a good team, even though the stats prove that they are not. Go out there and get this sweep and try to and try to keep those pesky feelings, you know, keep that two uh that two game lead. Cause it's gonna Kevin, you said it's gonna come down to probably the final series of the of the year, and that's gonna make Kevin Hare finally turn gray. Dealing with these brains. Got a little bit in there uh, as we're looking at it right now. But, yeah, no, I, look, you just hope for a, a, a finish uh, strong to the season. And you don't want to see one of those, uh, BJ, where the Braves came back right after the All-Star break, took the lead, jumped way up there, and then you see him give it right back and potentially uh, miss out on the playoffs. I know, by the way, Will Smith, feel free to never pitch in the ninth inning again uh, as well. I mean, I, I know uh, he did yesterday, but, man, you run him out there on uh, on Saturday night. I was watching some college football, and I look at my phone. And it was Will Smith comes in the ninth inning and and gives it up. I'm like, what what do we, what do we do? How many times? How many times do you have to get smacked in the face before Brian Snicker goes? You know what? I think he may not get it done tonight. That's a good note to end on on Monday on a positive note. Appreciate you all. We'll see you tomorrow. Three and outside the pigskin radio.